0: On the Empire Podcast this week, we talk salsa and other dips with Cuban Fury main man Nick Frost, while Bob Balaban pops into riff and scat with the Empire Podcast, Balaban, The Monuments Men. Plus reviews of the week's big releases, movie news galore, and Ali Plum going nuts for the Lego movie. All that and more on the only movie podcast that doesn't think Shia LaBeouf is sorry in the least. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, the 98th Empire Podcast. Just two weeks to go into our big live extravaganza in the heart of London's bustling West End dear God that's kind of scary actually uh, anyway that's for Len this is for now joining me this week are three of Empire's finest first up is our resident queen geek who this week went to a sing-along a screen of Disney's Frozen and now won't shut up about it just let it go <laughs> Helena Oh, uh,
1: I see what you did there see, see yeah, you did let there? it go yeah.
0: just let it go Helena Harman, is one of the songs
1: that's, that's right yes my name does actually appear in the film um no, it was really good fun. The the audience all sang, obviously the big number is Let It Go, was sung by Idina Menzel in the film, sung by the entire audience when I went to see it. And we all get, <laughs> this is the thing that cracked me up, everybody gave themselves a round of applause after the song.
0: <laughs> Does like, that song have quite high notes though?
1: It was all right. It's got some big notes, but they're not that high.
0: Oh, okay. So like, it's more like a belty, Yeah, it's Salini a belter. It's a, it's, a,
1: it's a big belter. Okay. Uh, so it's, it's actually going to be back on screens in a sing-along version. So if you've seen it and know the soundtrack off by heart, Okay. Give it a go
0: You went to a sing a screening Yeah And not the one that they had in the States last week in LA Where they actually had the cast members sing live No So they had Josh Gad and Kristen Bell Darn Idina Menzel
1: That would have the, been and good And the other
0: one <laughs> sing, sing live That would have been fun That would have been fun to go to It really I would I presume Possibly Sure not. Who knows uh, Next up is the editor of Empire Online A man who this week attended the walk a screening of The West Wing Hello James Dyer How are you? I'm good thank you Chris Excellent You've
2: nothing funny to say. About, do you? <laughs> You've nothing to add to that. whatsoever wouldn't it, wouldn't well, I, it be I could a Yeah, Well, I could go into an ob- a obscure good. an obscure West Wing quote, but it would be lost on you since you are a philistine and a boar and have never watched the West Wing.
0: I've seen three episodes. It <gasps> could have been the same episode three times. I don't really know. It's hard to tell with the West Wing.
2: It's taken me nearly ten years to get Nick to to watch the West Wing. I'm very pleased to report that he is now watching season one and enjoying it immensely. You are next on my hit list. Never going to happen. It's going to happen. Never going to happen. If I have to strap you down and force you to watch it, it will happen.
1: We can get. Those things from Clockwork Orange. Yes. To force your eyes out.
2: What you guys don't realize is that when I first arrived,
3: James filibusted me for about four days about why I should watch The West Wing. I'd already
2: watched The West Wing, but he was still that keen. It was I- one of Helen's interview questions.
1: Well, no, it wasn't. I nearly didn't get the job because you didn't ask me.
2: That's actually true. Everyone who interviewed for Helen's job, I asked them, uh, "Is the West Wing the greatest TV show ever made?" Of course, only being one answer to that question, uh, and most of them got none. it wrong. And I forgot to ask Helen, and she would, of course, answer it correctly. Yeah, Cuckoo is the greatest TV show ever made.
0: Cuckoo is the greatest TV show. We might talk about that later on there's be been huge funny. casting news in the w- world. We of Cuckoo. won't. Let's just say it. Shall we talk about it now? Let's just briefly say it. Should we introduce you first? No. So people don't, because you're just a disembodied voice right now. We all are. True. But at least they have names attached to these other voices. And hmm. people who may not be listening to who may not listen to this podcast before may be going, Who the hell is that? And I have written an intro for you, so I'm gonna give you Go for it. Okay. last but not least is Ali Plum. That's him, the ebullient young whippersnapper who once went to a so along a screening of the human centipede. He doesn't like to talk about it because his mouth is no, enough, no, enough, no, enough,
2: no, enough, no, enough, enough. So okay.
3: Taylor Lautner is taking over from Andy Sandberg in the BBC three comedy <laughs> <laughs> sitcom. Cuckoo. Not as a new character, not as a... It's just one of those ones where, oh, your own EastEnders, was, a character would be 11, 12, and then suddenly when they turn 16, oh, it's a entirely different person. They're just doing that with Taylor Lautner. Are they going to do
0: the thing where they go, the character of Cuckoo will not be by Taylor Lautner. In the, in the first five minutes, that would be amazing. I would love them to do so. There's got to be a bit where Greg Davies goes, you look different. There's something about you this different. And then they just move on. <laughs> and go on with it.
1: It, I, I just, I don't, I don't want... I don't understand. I don't understand either because, and I don't want
0: to disparage Taylor Lautner, but Andy Sandberg has a lot of talent. And Taylor Lautner
2: was a lot has of He has a lot of abs. He seems like a very nice man.
0: <laughs> so uh, who knows? Who knows?
2: He certainly lit up the screen in Grown Ups 2. Have any of you been watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Or I have.
1: It's quite funny. I like it. Yeah, cause, uh, Andre Brower and Terry Crews are very funny in it.
2: Vastly overshadow Andy Samberg, I'm saying. Oh,
1: massively. Yeah. That's okay. But
2: didn't he win a Golden Emmy or something? <laughs> he, won he was nominated. Did he win? <laughs> he won something. Yeah, He won he something. Won something. Yeah. Yeah, which, yeah, which was... Odd. I mean, don't get me wrong, he's fine in it. To me, I, I like it. It just feels like it's almost trying to be a sort of cop-like scrubs and not quite getting there. I think you know it, I, mean? I think
1: it's still finding its feet, but I think there's a lot of really good material in it. Um, again, mostly Andre Brower and. Terry Crews. Terry
2: Crews. is awesome. He was the only reason I used to watch Everybody Hates Chris. He's uh, phenomenal. And everybody does hate Chris, but it's also a TV hey, show. Hey,
0: come on, guys. <laughs> hey. uh, to- We've we free-wheeled off onto
2: a, into a tangent here, but
0: uh, while we're recommending TV programmes that are on right now, uh, I'm going to give a shout-out to Insight Number 9, the Rhys Shearsmith Steve Pemberton uh, series that's on BBC2 right now. Last night's silent episode was possibly the most inventive and brilliant half-hour of comedy I've seen in a long, long time. Do check it out. It's on the BBC iPlayer. So, right, let's move on uh, to the questions. I love the questions you've been sending in all week, via the tweets, the Facebooks and the electronic mailing devices. So. Here's an email question from Katie Trainer. She says, who I like this one. Who are your favorite movie characters with the same first and or last name as you? I've yet to find any really good ones with my name, so if you can suggest any, I'll immediately rush out and rent the film. So, <laughs> okay so we need to, we need to find uh, really good movie characters called Katie. Uh-huh. okay first of all, but also uh, let's talk about the first one, Ali, any favorite movie characters who have who are either called Ali or Plum?
3: Well, my first name's actually Alistair, and I remember the first Alistair I ever saw on screen was in As Time Goes By, and he's a you know, the TV show, and he's an absolute schmuck, so I was pissed off about that. And Plum has always been Professor Plums, or variations upon that gag from Cluedo when they appear in like sitcoms or whatever. So really, there are no Plums. There's never been, avenge me,
2: Plum! Uh, and yet, Mario is a plumber. <laughs> again, again, not a film. No? no, Well, it is a film. Technically,
1: <laughs> you tried. There no, was but, a film. No, there no, was no, the a really first film.
2: video
3: game adaptation. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a Mario. Mario is his full name. Mario. Mario and his uh, his 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 friend brother mm-hmm. is Luigi Mario.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Annoyingly, friend. Is there an implication there? Friend. Well,
3: well,
2: I think there, I'm fairly sure they're related. Wario, on the other hand, is a whole other thing.
3: There, I reckon some revisionist uh, critical theory would, you know, take a good long while to reappraise... Uh, you know the super mario brothers and realize that it is essentially a a civil a, partnership yeah
4: okay and i think it's
0: very <laughs> sweet very <laughs> really sweet so what's the story of mario and uh, mario i thought they were like a Strange Brothers or something. What's
2: what's the deal? I about? genuinely don't know. I, I I is he an evil clone? Is he a monster? I, it's possible. We've derailed this podcast twice in, well, in as many minutes. But
3: he's he's kind of the bizarro version of Mario. In the same I'm way, a Wario! Like, like Waluigi Luigi is Luigi's, you know, upside down, Mario upside down. The M upside down is the W. So that's the Wario. Oh, it's so clever. His colours are off and not the you know. So it's yellow and purple. He also rides a massive, really loud motorbike. Why? So in Super Smash Brothers, he can pick it up and smash it into another character's face is the only reason I can understand. Seems fair enough.
2: Hope you're enjoying your film podcast. Anyway. <laughs> we've had TV, we've had games. Next, Antiquing. James, mm-hmm. yes. uh, anyone, uh, any movie characters called James Did you like? I Bond. believe there's one, yes. James Bond. Yes. See the things, movie characters, unfortunately I do share my surname with an actor, but the less said about that, the better. Yeah. Danny Dyer. Oh, Danny Dyer. Jesus Christ. No, the only thing I would say is, I, I don't think there's ever been a, a film character called James Dyer, although I will... Right now, say that Lee Charles did have General James Dyer in one of the Jack Reacher books. Oh, that's good. This which is p-
0: true. Which is pretty awesome. And in fact, he was in the Jack Reacher book that is currently being adapted.
2: Indeed. Into the and, second. And uh, not, not that I wish to show off, but uh, Lee Child did in fact sign my book to the general. So he did, go. but he didn't name the character after you. Yes, he did. Whereas there is a
0: character <laughs> in the uh, most recent book, Never Go Back, uh, called Don Granger, uh, and that is named deliberately named after. The producer of the Jack Reacher movies, the guy who... who Took the gamble on the rights all those years ago. Interest. Uh, also, if you look at the uh, uh, Lee Child's character names over yeah, there, this is Aston gets, Villa thing. He, isn't he gets it? loads of references yeah. to Aston Villa, and there is a bad guy. It actually turns out to be a good guy in one of the books called Graham Taylor, named after the former Aston Villa in England boss. Uh, a bad guy at one point. is called Milosevic, named after Savo Milosevic, one of the worst Aston Villa players of all time. A Slobodan and just, who is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Jack Reacher, of course, was a famous left back for Villa in the 1930s. No, he wasn't that. <laughs> But still, a uh, bit of a. Uh, Aston Villa, Jack Reacher trivia there for you. It's good. We've done sports as well. Yeah, this is a full service podcast. (laughs) It is, absolutely. Everything but film. Helen.
1: I I totally win this one. Scarlett O'Hara, done. (laughs) Boom. Mic drop.
0: (laughs) True. True that. Um, There's also
1: actually a Monsignor O'Hara in the uh, Sister Act movies. Um, but that's pretty much all I got
2: what about Helen of Troy oh, there's
1: Helen's but they're all a bit rubbish
2: Helen of Troy was awesome she's the Hel- face that launched a thousand yes. ships
1: Helen of Troy was awesome but Helen of the movie Troy was not awesome
3: you've you taken out with Diane Kruger a little bit oh there's also Ali from the movie Ali <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: actually you're a dead ringer for him that's true really on a that's good true. day
0: uh, Chris isn't a very action hero action hero-y type name sadly so i can't really think of too many great movie chrises uh, there is one great movie hewitt though in the texas chainsaw massacre remake uh they changed the name of the the, the evil chainsaw family from sawyer to hewitt and ah. leatherface in the remake is actually called thomas hewitt which was my dad's name so, so semi-biographical so se- yeah, yeah semi uh, yeah yeah he did like to kill people and wear we're, <laughs> we're human skin in this place. I never thought anything of it at the time. We haven't answered the question. Is there a Katie? Uh, I've just looked it up. Um, no, there's not. Uh, Barbara Streisand, in the way we wear is called Katie Morosky. Um What about the lead character
3: in the paranormal activities?
0: Oh, yeah, Katie Featherstone. Yes, there you go. There you go, Katie Trainer. Katie from Paranormal Activity Because she plays a character called Katie, right? She does,
3: yes Yeah, they keep their own names, don't they? So that'll be brilliant I hope you're really pleased with that answer You are like the perennially spooked lady from those films There's Kate
1: and Leopold, if that's close enough Because she's a great
3: character Well,
1: no, she's not But she at least gets a snog Hugh Jackman And I would have thought that would be something
3: In the Blues Brothers, they caught the Katie Does does that help?
1: That should help I'd, I'd take that if I were her
0: Yes, take that, take it. Uh, let's move on from that frankly shambolic moment to uh, a question from Twitter at AVP2015 asks which movies that never were do we wish had happened?
3: Can um, I point out that the name of this person is AVP2015 presumably saying Aliens versus Predator in 2015 it means he's desperate for a film that is the third in the AVP franchise to come out next year all of a sudden.
1: Maybe they're going to reboot the <laughs> AVP franchise.
0: It Just, just suddenly magically appear.
3: I would love it if Prometheus' sequel was AVP and just surprised everyone and just went, yeah, yeah, no, you're expecting them going off the planet and
0: his head's in a bag and well, they're Predators.
1: Basically another film in a big pyramid, you know, it you kind think, of unites the two franchises.
0: Do you think on the Predator homeworld they're waiting for humans versus dogs? Or something like that. <laughs> Is that how you view the
2: relationship between humans <laughs> just, and dogs here? No, I love uh, dogs. Do you run around... <laughs> Skinning to, them. Do you
3: put a bunch of dogs well, in there? You know, I saw
0: my it. dad do it with some skin on <laughs> his face and I just thought that's the normal thing to do
1: this has really gone dark <laughs> this has gone
0: weird anyway so which movies that never were that we wish had happened so like for example the Alien 3 that Vincent Ward was going to make where it was all set Ooh, on a good planet that's mental uh, there, are, there are loads of others uh, Empire contributor David Hughes wrote a fantastic book called The Greatest Movies Never Made which is uh, still out in bookstores uh, I think
2: right now pick it up because it's absolutely fantastic mm. but let's throw it open to the floor mine would be Crusade, the Paul Verhoeven on Schwarzenegger. I was
1: going to say that. <laughs> I
2: have beat you. It's alright, I've got um, No, it was good. Uh, when, of course, I was uh, hanging out with Arnold at his uh, his office in uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, he's got, no, I'm kidding. He's got a big He's got a big poster on his wall in his office which is a huge sort of Crusade poster. Uh, a memory of something that never was. Uh, and he has quite fond memories of putting it together and he blames Paul Verhoeven entirely for it not happening. Really? Yeah, he said when they were pitching it, Verhoeven was going crazy, yeah, it's going to be mental. There's crazy stuff everywhere, it's crazy. And Arnold's kicking and going, shut the fuck up, we we'll shut the fuck up uh, and uh, he didn't and they basically said um, that sounds very expensive we're not doing it but did they get as
0: far as building sets
2: uh I, it got quite far into development certainly uh, but they did pull the plug on it but it looked like it was going to be like a 10 billion dollar movie mm. there's another um, great uh,
0: there's loads of great unmade Schwarzenegger sports projects mm. there's another great one uh he was going to make i am legend with ridley scott and they Indeed got quite far down the path with that one as well and i think we can all agree it would have been better than what happened
2: it would have been a very different movie, certainly. It would have been a
0: very different movie. Uh, I think it would have been probably more akin to The Omega Man than
2: mm. yeah, perhaps, so. uh,
0: the Will Smith version turned out to Even be. Even The but-
2: Omega Man is quite thoughtful. I can't imagine a, a Schwarzenegger, certainly a Schwarzenegger of then film like that, that didn't have him you know, ripping them apart with his bare hands. True.
3: I'm just going to briefly mention this. Uh, they are making a sequel to Jingle All The Way. Arnie has nothing to do with it. It's Arnie free. It is Arnie free. It yeah. is 100% free of Arnies. Uh, it is... Totally chock full of. Can you can you guess who it's going to be to replace to replace? The How character. do
2: you replace the Austrian oak? Tell us, Ali.
3: Well, the same way you place the rock in the uh, Tooth Fairy. You get Larry the Cable Guy to to um, re- replace Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think
0: I can safely say I will never see Jingle All the Way too. Larry the Cable Guy's career is a complete <laughs> mystery to me. It, the it, man is a. Well, I, I wouldn't want to say anything disparaging about Larry the Keber Guy, uh, but like he seems like a lovely guy. He's just probably like a Latter. delight. Perhaps he's probably he's great, great guy. Loves his kids, uh, but he's completely and utterly talentless. Damn it! I said something nasty about him. Oh.
2: I, I, I must say, perhaps appropriately, you know, like when you're a kid, you find out that Father Christmas, you know, isn't real. <gasps> That's essentially what? the experience I had when I saw Jingle All the Way. Well, it was like it was the moment when I realised Arnold Schwarzenegger wasn't. Without right. fault. I thought the la- I thought Last Action Hero was like a blip. I you know, it was fine, it was it was okay. And then I saw Jingle all the way. It wasn't junior. Yeah, it's just I watched that and I just I, I could not fathom as I watched him and Sinbad run around with a jetpack <laughs> why he had thought this was a good idea. I know why. This was the whole thing where he um he ran into Ivan Reitman on a skiing trip. This was before before twins. And so Schwarzenegger's at the ski lodge with a bunch of people, Robin Williams and stuff, and Ivan Reitman comes up to him and says, Look, you're really big, you're really strong. We think you'd be really great in comedies. And he's like, really? Okay, fine. So, twins, junior, and all that is to follow from this one conversation. And it, it reaches its nadir with Jingle All The Way, um, yeah. which is, is an abomination against God and man, although it does have that single great moment. Put the cookie down. Down! Put that cookie down! Now! I
0: do do wonder if that meme is responsible for this movie, because Jingle All The Way is quietly considered one of the worst movies, not Christmas movies, one (laughs) of the worst movies ever made. But it has spawned over the last few years certain memes, mainly revolving around that, that great Sweet Mason song. And I do wonder if that's maybe some people have looked at it and gone, oh, people actually have a sort of sneaking ironic affection for this movie. Perhaps if we get it and put an utterly talentless... (laughs)
3: I was, going to say, I was going to say something nasty
0: there, but I won't because I'm sure he's a lovely guy and he loves his kids.
3: Uh, but but um, yeah. There is another moment in Jingle on the Way that makes it worth it, which is when uh, the guy slips up on the floor and he goes, Oh, poor baby. That <laughs> is good. I enjoy that. I can't do the voice, but I do love that moment. And if you watch Jingle on the Way, and I again think it's terrible, but there are so many people who love it.
2: So many. No, really. No, really. In, a, Generally. In, an,
3: in an ironic fashion, yeah. they no. do. That poor baby moment is a a huge cinema lifter
2: it's hard to love it's really hard to love even when he goes turbo time and does a little dance in the in the turbo man shoe oh god um, I died inside a lot when I saw that film
3: going back to the question I'd like to mention Kaleidoscope which was a movie that Hitchcock was going to make but and I'll just leave you to find out for yourself it is so twisted and weird it's essentially about a bodybuilder who goes on a rampage but you should check it out because it's one of those movies that I would have still loved to have seen it was in that period after Psycho did really really well and then the next films weren't quite as as, as popular as he mm. would have liked them to be and he was looking for that next big thing that would shock everyone and this definitely would have shocked people uh, You know, least of all the producers
0: going no, no, thank you I think Kubrick's Napoleon is something else.
1: damn it, are you reading off my list? <laughs> I'm not because
0: your, your page is upside down what's on your list? What's, what's on the actually,
1: list of it was, was, I, I was literally just written Kubrick's, down. Napoleon. Was Kubrick's Napoleon <laughs> but also the Cohens to the White Sea Oh they yes. were going to make with Brad Pitt a virtually Absolutely. silent movie that would have been incredible it surprised me
0: actually after the success of the artist that no one took a punt onto the White Sea yeah I do wonder sometimes if, if lots of actors and writers and directors have big drawers filled with unmade scripts that maybe they take off and they you know they dust them down every now and again or once it once everyone passes do, you, do you, they just go yeah that's never going to happen this. Let's not go back and do that.
1: But like a silent Coen Brothers movie, people who are so good at the tiny touches of dialogue and just the the tiny twists of words Mm. to make a line really memorable, to see what they would do with a silent movie I think would would just be fascinating because they'd be putting all that kind of detail into just the visuals. It'd be amazing.
0: It'd be amazing. Um, I've always wanted to see Steven Spielberg and George Lucas come together to make a fourth Indiana Jones film. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't look as if it's ever going to happen. There was talk at one point about something with a fridge, but I don't know if that ever happened.
3: If you look at the box set of all four... What? At the, to- at the top of each DVD, there is, you know, the picture of Indy, right? And it starts with smile on his face, and then it's a wry look on his face, then it's a kind of a slightly off look on his face, and the final one, the shot of Indy for the fourth movie, which doesn't exist, is essentially <laughs> him finding out that his mortgage has been declined and all his kids have been <laughs> shot, and the dog has just been put in the blender by accident. It is the most... Get out of my house. Get off my plane. (laughs) Get out of my fridge. Get the fuck out of my fridge. I looked at it and just burst out laughing. I went,
0: why? We we didn't listen. The face of shame. Is he wearing a paper bag with I am not indie written? uh,
2: (laughs) (laughs) written I am not indie
0: anymore. Okay, Uh, that probably didn't answer your question in any way, shape or form. AVP 215. But uh, hey, I hope they make a, a new movie for you very very soon uh, we have another question now this one is from at ward underscore 17 it says "Alice valentine's day is coming up in fact today is valentine's day so happy valentine's day to everyone you know be safe happy house um, of cards <laughs> day I'd yeah. also happy yes. yeah, happy house of cards day absolutely be safe wear protection don't have unsafe sex I'm just while watching of house of cards while watching house of cards available to me on yes. Netflix it gives live streaming a whole new name um, <laughs> what's God, it's going to be so hard for me to not to delete that. <laughs> totally. Move it. it in. Move Don't on. Delete it. <laughs> Ward17 asks, what's your favourite romantic movie song? See how I built up to it with the romance? Amazing. Um, what's your favourite romantic movie song? And he says, it's How Can I Live uh, from Con Air.
1: Oh, it's genius, that, isn't it? that, not its that the actual right name? name of the
0: song? How Can I Live?
1: How, how do I live, I think. Yeah. How do I
0: get through on that without you? Wow, it's <laughs> good. That's amazing, yeah. yeah it's Leanne really it's like, rhymes.
1: It's like having her here. Oh, she she didn't sing it in the film. What? Yep, she just sang the single. Come on! Now. I believe uh, in the film it was Faith Hill.
0: Holy! Yeah. You blow my mind wide open. Holy rusted metal, Batman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, James, you're a
2: romantic sort. I would have <laughs> to say, <laughs> Kyle's mum's a bit from the movie theme <laughs> That 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 really touches me. There, there's a part of me that sort of. Boy from the eighties who wants to say Berlin from Top Gun, but I'm not gonna say that. Um honestly, honestly romantic, I'd probably say um Moon and Rouge, actually. The the you know the the medley, the yeah. sort of romantic medley. I think that's really, really nice, and obviously the, the cover of, of your song is really good as well. Um Yeah, that would be my choice, I think. What's that song from uh, once I really I've like got that
1: one. falling slowly.
2: Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm looking at your list again. You are looking <laughs> well, like,
1: at
0: and also there was a great song from Napoleon Who <laughs> <from laughs> Napoleon? That was great. Um yeah, that's a, that's a lovely song. Uh, very, very bittersweet, obviously. Twisted Nerve, uh,
3: obviously, from Kill Bill. <laughs> I mean, I know it's only a whistle, but mm, I just feel it's good. all it's Barry good. Whitey. Uh, no, to answer the question, you could you could mention something from Roman Hood, Prince of Thieves or Armageddon. I'm going to mention... Yeah. You <laughs> really couldn't. <laughs> I'm going to mention About Time. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, to use the word mentioned three times in a row. He rewrote The Luckiest. <laughs> which was originally written for another another film but was the scene that he wrote it for Ben Folds uh, the scene got cut out from a previous film and he just kind of released it on the back end of his album uh, at the time I think it's Rocking the Suburbs is at the end of and yeah he rewrote it because uh, he was asked very nicely by Richard Curtis because he absolutely adores the song and it was redone and it's beautiful Aww. it is definitely walking down the aisle super marriage stuff. stuff so. <laughs> super marriage so uh, <laughs> like it's wonderful and I think it's very sweet oh, you should lovely. listen to it now
0: Hells Bells I
1: have a list um, of course you do I quite like Rule the World from Stardust I know it's Take That and it's yeah. not cool but I do it's a good song you mean, t- take that, they, they come back around again they They're have cool. come back around They're and cool. also they, they have that really clever bit in the song where they get her name in through oh, the lyrics which oh, is very clever Gary Barlow um, yeah well the greatest
0: lyricist of our time a poet and a prophet
1: gosh um, I'm not going to agree with that anyway uh, <laughs> <laughs> What Can You Lose from Dick Tracy Dick Tracy actually has some great great songs I think they were Stephen Sondheim wrote them and that one is a standout that's Mandy Patinkin uh, duetting with Madonna and it's terrific mm-hmm. These Arms of Mine it's a note reading song which is used in Dirty Dancing I realise technically not written for the film so maybe doesn't count When Somebody Loved Me, Sarah McLachlan, Toy Story 2. Is It a Romance? I guess kind of. It's just a heartbreaking song. Apparently, when that scene played for Tom Hanks and uh, Tim Allen, they were both in floods of tears uh, in the screening room. So that's kind of funny. And a recent one or an upcoming one, in fact, The Stag, which is coming out at the beginning of next month. It's an Irish comedy.
0: Are you breaking embargo?
1: I don't think I'm breaking embargo. All right. Uh, somebody in that sings of a cover of On Raglan Road which is an Irish kind of traditional-ish song that the Dubliners do and Luke Kelly does very very well and it's actually a brilliant brilliant, gorgeous gorgeous song so that
0: lovely I'll mention three you mentioned uh, Dirty Dancing there which reminds me of Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind <laughs> perhaps the greatest of all songs so good in fact I thought it might be written by Gary Barlow but it, but it turns out it isn't uh, The Swizzle Really on top form of that one. Uh, I love Bruce Springsteen's Secret Garden from Jerry Maguire. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, Rolling Stone recently did a 100 Greatest Springsteen Songs uh, feature, which was phenomenal. Uh, and that wasn't on there. Really? Didn't make the 100. And I was incensed.
1: That is harsh.
0: Incensed. But uh, nevertheless, it is a fantastic song and a great moment from Jerry Maguire. And I'm going to throw um, this is a bit of a throwback this one. This is from, I believe, The Jolson Story. But there's a song called The uh, the Anniversary Song. Um Jolson Story is one of my mum's favourite songs. And I watched it loads with her growing up. And it stuck in my head. It's a song sung uh, by Al Jolson. In the movie uh, to his parents as they dance um, uh, underneath the stars and it's quite a lovely lovely moment i just remember watching it with my mum and my dad with his face draped in someone else's skin and i just thought this such a beautiful romantic song it is. always you just always make it, it out over me.
2: the sound of the riffing chainsaw
0: <laughs> just about and the screaming <laughs> just, just the way you look <laughs> do you know? Uh, bless them i I've, I've
3: got another one off the back of what um, Helen just said uh, I recently did a feature on uh, dance party endings at the end of movies <laughs> and one of them I included was Toy Story 3 where you see Buzz and Jesse uh, dancing to the Gypsy King Spanish version of "You're yes. a Friend yes.
1: of un amigo and me,"
3: and that is a beautiful song. I think it's so, <laughs> I, it's just infinitely sweeter on an infinitely sweet song to begin with. On español, uh, yeah, and you see, you know, Hispanic Buzz get his um, hip swing on. So yeah, I would include that.
2: You know, long. I was I was watching Sean's, Sunshine on Leith recently, and I'm still m- just blown away that there's a song featuring 500 Miles that also features Peter Mullen in it a film you mean uh, yes
0: well a film a film, a film, and, film. A a film and a song a Peter song. Mullen sings 500 miles this is what I'm saying it's, it's, it's mind this.
2: I think I've maybe mentioned this on the podcast before but for anyone who missed it uh, Empire uh, I was going to say regularly but we've not done it in a while no, we has, uh, has karaoke evenings and one of our, one of our office favourites is The Proclaimers 500 miles whereupon we replace the da-da-da-da with the words Peter Mullen. Scans perfectly. Yeah. You don't know why. And we've been doing this for about, what, eight years or something? Something like that. Yeah. Every karaoke session. Peter Mullen. Peter Mullen Peter, Peter Mullen. 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 Uh,
0: it's uh, it's it's very freeing so if you're a Duke do, karaoke, do, do it. get a chance to we do must get him on this podcast I and think, get him to sing it with us I don't think we'd be left alive <laughs> 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 I get that feeling uh, thanks so much for your questions as ever if you want to get in touch with us you can do so via the usual channels we're on Twitter at Empire Magazine use the hashtag Empire Podcast or we probably won't see it and we're on Facebook Empire Magazine and you can email us as people have done this week podcast at empireonline.com do make your questions good That's my only caveat. Uh, Time now for our first interview. Last week on the show, I said we would hopefully, if all went well, be joined by the Monuments Men men, Bob Balaban and the great Bill Murray. Well, Murray is nothing if not unpredictable and he didn't quite make it to our interview. But Balaban is a fascinating guy in his own right. And so Nick DeSimene and I went along to talk to him about everything from appearances in Seinfeld and Friends to Close Encounters of the Third Kind, his first role in Midnight Cowboy and the idea of forming the Bob Balaban. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Bob Balaban, star Hello. of the Monuments Man. Hello, Hello, sir.
6: Good to be here. Hello. How
0: are you? Are you uh, you jet-lagged?
6: I'm tired, yeah. We've been, <laughs> we've been traveling around. We get somewhere and then we leave the next morning and you leave all your clothes wherever you go. Oh, really? I'm going to have to buy a whole new wardrobe. Just in a pile on the first um, um, It's hard to remember, you know. <laughs> Do you have any, uh, any tips for getting over jet-lag
0: after all this time? All this, take all drugs. All these, drugs. No, travels. I don't take <laughs> drugs. I don't know.
6: But I suspect drugs
0: it might help. It feels like a... Really old school. It feels yep. like the sort of movie I can imagine watching with my, my father. Yep.
6: Uh, he would have absolutely loved it. Um, I think George did that on, uh, very much consciously. Yeah. He, he loved these movies, and, and he was always saying from the beginning that this was that kind of a thing. Mm. And our theme song, our fabulous theme song. Yes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, if, if you ever talk to Bill Murray, yeah. he's like the best whistler in America. Oh, really? Have him whistle it for you he's really good
0: uh, we must do that Bill Whistles the Blues I'd love to hear I'd love he's, to see that he's
6: really like a professional whistler
0: it feels like a movie that that, that deserves to have a, a, a whistled song it does on have contract. a whistled song yeah, yeah absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely.
6: Mm-hmm. do you have a lot of uh,
5: people punning on your name or is it just us people uh, I saw yeah, on your Twitter yeah. feed there's some I, Bob fans. I have a tour
6: of a lot of people talking about me frankly <laughs> uh, but I have noticed I, I tweet occasionally mm-hmm. and in, in Tweetville there's a lot of interest in puns mm-hmm. it might tell you something about the mentality of people who tweet. That is true. Yeah, it,
0: it probably does. But uh, but we, we were big fans of yours, and we were always... There, mm, there is always something is called
6: about There was... There is on the internet, because I found it. I don't know why it happened. it's something called a Bala Bonanza. Have you ever heard of that? A Bala Bonanza. It's a fake... That sounds great. It's a, it's a virtual... It's a virtual congregation of my fans in 1996. This is not true. Had a convention... <laughs> And there's a website that sells items from the convention. It's got a <laughs> mug with my face on it. It's got t-shirts with my, you know, with me on it and stuff. Wow. And uh, I think it's got pencils, I'm not sure. I want this stuff. You can, I you want can Bob get it. I want a Bob-Bella Bonanza Bala pencil. Bonanza, yeah. Definitely.
5: Yeah. I tweeted uh, about uh, I was in sp- trying to inspire you to, to form the Bob-Bella Band um, <laughs> last month. And you mentioned that your cousin, Red, a band.
6: My cousin was a in a wonderful the band. Uh, band, actually. Band and the Cats. It was called that because there was a lovely chain of theaters in Chicago that my family started literally around the turn of the last century. When they went into the Nickelodeon business and then converted into the movie business. And it was called Balaban and Cats, because one of my relatives was Balaban and the other one was Cats, and they formed this thing together. So, Red's band is called Balaban and the C A T S instead of K A T Z. Are
5: you musical at all, apart from the whistling, which we just heard? I am
6: with you. kind of musical. Uh, I play nothing. Uh, I took piano <laughs> lessons, but as you know, that does, doesn't mean you can play the piano. But I sing. I'm, I was in a musical actually at one point. Uh, my first job was in a musical. I was Linus in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, in the Charlie Brown musical when I was in college, actually. That's a good part. So I'm kind of saying, it was fine. It was yeah. fun. I, You know, it was the beginning of me playing people that seemed as, as though they were very intellectually superior, which I'm unfortunately not. But <laughs> but I wear glasses and have a high forehead, or now have a total forehead. <laughs> I'm just a forehead so um, this is just this is just a quick offer. I'm just throwing this out
0: there. If if I were to bring a, a guitar, play rhythm guitar, yep. Nick here could play the drums. Mm-hmm. If I can hum. You can hum. If Bill could whistle, if he formed mm-hmm. a Bob Balaband, would you be a part of that? Would sure. You like to, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Can we get some actual cats <laughs> involved? Let's <laughs> make it happen. Uh, no. it's, it's interesting, uh, going back to the Monuments Men. There's a, there's a there's a feeling that most people in this movie come from George Clooney's traveling rep. He's mm-hmm. worked with John Goodman before, Matt mm-hmm. Damon, I believe he's worked with on a number of occasions. Yes, and he's friends with uh, Bill, but
6: I don't think yeah. Bill had worked with him before.
0: They were in the Fantastic Mr. Fox together. But well, they, they were that, worked together. Yes, I don't, did, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not quite sure. But, yeah. but yourself, well, what, at what point did you become part of the Clooney uh,
6: I know George from... Going to parties, <laughs> this is really bad. <laughs> um, I met him, I think, at a Golden Globe Award once. I maybe met him at the Academy Awards. I was only nominated one time for something, and I probably met him then because you go to a lot of things and i didn't I always looked forward to finding him at these things because he was always one of the more fun people to talk to. He was friendly and smart and outgoing, and mm. it, it was always nice to talk to him and in fact, I'm in this movie because I went to a party literally. Um, um, he came up to you with a script? Or? Yes, my, my Peggy Siegel, my friend, gives these amazing parties. Uh-huh. And there was an Argo party for the opening night of Argo in New York. And I happened to see Grant Heslov, who I kind of know because my three cousins went to school with him, so I kind of know them. And I saw George, and I waved and said hello. And then the next morning, I got a phone call. Um, Would you like to be at the Monuments ben? It's like... I guess I went to the right party. You know, I've been going to parties for a long time and nobody ever called the day after the party and said, you did so well at the party that we've now hired you for this thing.
0: I had this image in my head that uh, George had recruited you for the movie, as he does in the movie, so that one day you were just sitting at home and you turned around and
6: suddenly George was behind you. Actually, it's very similar, only it was a phone call.
5: (laughs) How about Bill Murray? Because uh, you're in two movies with Bill Murray that I've seen in the last couple Aww. of weeks. There's Grand Budapest
6: Hotel. You both well, have I'm only in that for a Very brief or so, see. Uh, But it was fun. And we were in Moonrise Kingdom together, mm-hmm. although as the narrator, I wasn't allowed to be with the other people too much. Although my narrator did appear once in the movie. With, so... So how did that, you met him on Moonrise Kingdom or did you know each other I kind that? of vaguely, you know, people in New York who are around, we kind of vaguely knew each other but I didn't know him terribly well at all and I didn't really get to know him until um, till this in which, uh, you know, we had a lot of scenes together and and um, I, I, I could joke about it and like say how I hate him and how impossible he is and everything else but the truth is he's really nice and I'm very happy to be working with him and I don't have anything amazingly funny to say Uh, except he's a great guy, and and you learn a lot when you work with him. You really do, I mean, because his whole approach to life is sort of an artist's approach to being there. Georgia O'Keeffe, the artist, I happened to do a project about her at one point, and she at one point said to to her students, everything in your life is art don't think it isn't so make your life into an art piece when you go home she used to arrange her shoes like it was art i happened to work in one of her we shot a little piece of this thing in her house in uh, in santa fe in, uh, in new mexico mm. ghost ranch and they left her kitchen exactly as it had been and in her in her little pantry with the food was it was an art project, the most beautiful arrangement of everything. He said, and she said, you kind of have to do that. And Bill does that. Only he doesn't. He's not a painter. Instead, he does it with his, with his, with his self. His self, himself, as an art project. And it's, it's. I could never do that. I mean, I, I don't have the discipline. I'm just not. I couldn't do that. And it's. I so admire it. And it's really. It's for me. It's tremendously entertaining to be around.
0: In what way yeah, is he a very free spirit? Is it that sort of?
6: There's nothing he doesn't yeah. he doesn't half experience things mm-hmm. he exp- from the minute. He gets up till the minute I mean, I don't know the minute but he is always on a path to understand to communicate uh, to be in touch um, You know, I'm that way about three seconds a day <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to say but you know, and he's that way all the time. It's really inspiring
0: It's a fascinating relationship between the, the two of you in the movie We're essentially you, well, you don't want to to kill him, but there's... I guess there's a
6: friction of some kind, I guess. But I mean, that's in the script. But but we actually were becoming, you know, hanging around a fair amount of the time, and, and it was fun, and we had a good time. Your first
5: film role, I believe, was in Midnight Cowboy. Yes, is I that went right? Down on John Boyd, but not really. That's an am- <laughs>
6: <laughs> that's an amazing
5: debut, even without. I that, guess that. it is.
6: I guess it was. I, it, it so didn't occur to me. Somebody the other day said, "Weren't you afraid?" Like it was such a daring thing. I said, "No, I I, I didn't really know it was daring. I don't know why." I said, "It's like a play. You people, I was I done theater. Was like you just do what the part is." didn't think it would ever occur to anybody that this was real life or anything and in fact when i auditioned for it we improvised for john schlesinger uh the, you know the scene where the midnight cowboy tries to take my watch after after our as, as payment because i have no money to pay him mm-hmm. for the service that he rendered or whatever you would call that and i thought it was a television show I mean, I came, I, my, somebody said to me, well, what did you... I, I said, I don't know. It might be some kind of TV movie or something. <laughs> it's like like they would ever have that on a television movie in 1975 or three or... Oh, no, 1968, actually. It was a yeah. long time ago. Yeah.
5: Did you know what the movie was about as an entirety, or was it just your scene? that you No, when
6: I auditioned, I did not. I just... Uh, but it's basically all the vignettes in the movie... Are basically the same thing i mean he has a wonderful interesting relationship with ratso rizzo the dustin hoffman character and then the rest of this thing because it's based on a book or he's this stud hustler who comes from texas like to take new york by storm and the same thing keeps happening to him is he's sort of good-hearted and all his all the people all his johns take advantage of him mm. i mean even i the innocent little student eventually I he wouldn't even I didn't have money and he and I was too pathetic so when he took my watch I like fall apart and then he gives my watch back so um what was the question? <laughs> I don't know but you answered it. Thank you. Of <laughs>
0: But when you're in a role like that, when a movie like that, uh, which at the time had a certain notoriety, you know, mm-hmm. he,
6: Well yeah. I was the X rating. Yeah. In the movie and then the movie won Best Picture <laughs> and then suddenly we didn't have the X rating anymore. Did you start to get recognized after that for that I role? I don't think I probably for the I best. I don't I doubt it. I don't think they probably just thought I was some you know like Schlepper on the street, which I was in a way.
0: I think the movie most people would have uh, would associate you with is Close Encounters of the Third
6: Kind. Oh, I don't know, but it was um, a very successful movie.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, for example, we were just chatting about you in the office, and uh, oh, okay. one of our editors says that you are one of the reasons he got into the film journalism business in the really? first place because of your diary. Oh, it inspired that's it to, very nice. Indeed. Um, we, yes. we tried to drag, drag him down here, but he was, uh, was too Well, that dragon.
6: wasn't th- this was not really a diary. I, yeah. don't, don't, I don't want to. Burst anybody's bubble or anything, but I had written a paper for school. Yeah. I had gone. I was thirty. I had gone back to school because I was having a child, and I thought I should graduate, which I hadn't done before. Mm-hmm. So I went back to NYU, and I said, "What do I need to do to graduate?" Well, you have to take this sociology course. I said, oh okay, do I have to go to class? And they said, "No, you can just write this long, incredibly difficult paper." So I worked with my advisor on the paper, and I decided I would write about social stratification on a film set. So, and I call was very dignified on film. A, you know these 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 are you know and then the, and then I, I really did go through the whole thing according to like what order do people have lunch and who has to be on the set early and who doesn't, and I never identified anything and I was talking about it at a party, and somebody put in a, in the newspaper the next day that Bob Balaban had the beside, behind the scenes tell all diary of one of the greatest movies ever made that's about to come out and I got all these offers for my diary and I sold it and then I had to go write a diary because <laughs> I didn't have one and I had to do it in a week but it was fun because. I, I so enjoyed everything about the movie. I mean, it was insanely boring because all we did was special effects movies for eight months. You stand in front of a you know green screen or a purple screen or whatever screen you're standing in front of, and you just do everything a hundred times. But because I was glued to Francois Truffaut for the whole time, and I was the, ended up being the only person who spoke French around him, we had a wonderful time. And I really actually had stories to tell. Usually, you know what it's like. Oh, tell your funny story from Monuments Men. Well, once we ate too much, you know. And like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, there's nothing I ever want to hear happens. More. <laughs> you know, Indi- I want to hear more about that. Yeah, Indigestion? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I won't. I can't. I can't reveal any more than that.
5: <laughs> you haven't uh, published a book about any other film that
6: you've been I involved just, in. I, I, first of all, I mean, nobody asked me, but... Uh, I hadn't intended to. This was all a mistake. And I was fairly aware that you can't go around writing about your work all the time or twice even because then you're the person that they can't invite. Or, you know, we better not talk. Bob's here. It could end up in something. Sure. And I was very careful when I wrote the book originally uh, when it was finished uh, or actually when I was about to sell it. Uh, I went back to Steven Spielberg and I said, well, I've written these couple of chapters just to show you. And if you don't like it. I'll forget about it right away and not only did he like it he said may I write the introduction for it and then he thought it was really funny and interesting and you know that meant a lot to me and uh, mm-hmm. and I sent it to Truffaut as well um and I think it was a I, I was never sure if it was okay with them actually but I didn't reveal anything you know I was very yeah. careful
5: but my question is without revealing anything which film that you've worked on would make the juiciest making of altered Pop- states
6: Okay, <laughs> but I can't tell you. You why. can't tell us why. Right. I can't tell you anything. We'll about leave that it. to the imagination. But did, didn't, did. you? notice how I didn't have to think about that? Because that's the one I would have. I imagine enjoyed. in private the stories are told I would fairly have enjoyed frequently. Writing about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure. But Ken then Russell. I would have not enjoyed never working again.
0: Oh, well, true, true. But at the same time, I'm sure Ken Russell was an interesting figure to write about, and he's I mean, dead now.
6: Yeah. And I did like him actually yeah. very much. But he was he was very eccentric.
0: Yeah, I uh, I, I can imagine. I've heard some tales. I'm sure you can tell a few more uh, when we're off the air as well. Um, but I, I think another thing as well, apart from Close Encounters, I mean, w- for you, what do people most recognize you for? Because
6: I'm really not aware of being recognized particularly, so I have no idea. But okay, I was on Seinfeld. That's really famous. Usually, I'm imagining if somebody thinks I'm familiar, it's probably from that because it, it at the time it was enormously successful. I was in whatever season I was on first it was number 86 in the ratings Mm. and that was like in the end of some at the end of spring then I came back in the beginning of fall and was on one episode and the next morning when it came out, I, like, I, I couldn't walk down the street practically for being one minor character on one television yeah. show. But the fame of that show was so, it was so beloved and so, yeah. the ratings, they got ratings like like 35. And now it's a big deal if your rating is nine. I mean, you know, because there are no ratings anymore. Um, and they rerun it every five seconds.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. And, and you're part of that very, very meta storyline. About I
5: happen to like that storyline. Yeah. It's a very good storyline. But uh, you were on uh, Seinfeld and Friends. <laughs> I was, yeah.
6: I guess not that many people were on both of them. No. I don't know. Am I the no. only one?
5: No, I'm sure not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We'll go back and get our researchers briefly, on that one. Yeah.
6: But what was that? That's experience? not my hair. I, my, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't my shoulder length, <laughs> insane Muppet hairdo. Indeed. Uh, on Seinfeld, you played an NBC
0: Executive. executive i played him before th- i also yeah.
6: played him again on but this was his name is warren littlefield and he's an interesting guy and he was a friend of mine okay. and he was there at one, nbc but on seinfeld they didn't call me warren littlefield but then i did a movie for hbo called the late shift in which i actually did play the my a character named warren littlefield and then i had to go to him and say do you want me to play you i you know if you hate this i won't do it because yeah. you know when you know people you have to be careful
5: I, i'm not sure if you're aware but there's a british comedy TV show called The Trip and a, a oh, comedian I've, called uh, Rob Brydon quotes you.
6: Oh, uh, somebody quoted me once. I was so pleased.
5: Saying uh, your advice to actors, never be hot, always be warm.
6: Is that, is that I the official it. bit of advice? I don't... Could I really give somebody advice? You know, I'm sure I said it and I... I don't even really know what it means exactly <laughs> I was tr- you know what I was trying to make it be okay that it was never hot <laughs> you know
5: it would be terrible baking advice but it's good advice for actors yes yeah, thank
6: you absolutely. don't
0: follow it indeed and the uh, the last thing but before we let you go is uh, your Twitter profile has a, an interesting
6: cartoon my daughter drew that yes. your daughter yes okay. she was seven when she drew it
0: okay because we were we were wondering uh, yeah, the story about it, it. Oh, I loved yeah. it I thought it was great yeah. you know? oh, and I'd
6: much rather have to stare at that than an actual picture of myself it's much more it's <laughs> more. <laughs> much friendlier (laughs) Bob Aliband it's been a pleasure thank you so much thank you good to see you thank you thank you thank you
0: thank you you. all right movie news time what's in the box
3: I was lucky enough to go on set of Utopia which was the channel for drama thriller espionage but not really conspiracy theory uh, TV show and I remember telling you about my writing gymnastics that I had to perform because I was on set for the last penultimate day of shooting the last penultimate day and uh, it just revealed everything about a TV show about conspiracies. These group of people read a, a only published like once graphic novel which reveals or seems to indicate Nostradamus like so many different things that are about to happen, conspiracies upon conspiracies. A group of people, disparate people who go to the blog, who read up about this graphic novel, find the sequel to this graphic novel and essentially on the run as the big bads Go after them. Right. So that's the UK version. It was very good. It's very dark. It's very brutal. Interesting project that, you know, not enough British TV shows can can do. So David Fincher and the Gone Girl writer Gillian Flynn are taking that UK six run TV show, six episode TV show and taking it to HBO, which for me is very exciting on a number of levels. I said that the Channel 4 version was quite brutal, can you imagine it in HBO's hands where they can really, they've got the money, they've got the ability to just swear and explode heads and all that kind of stuff as as, as much as they would like.
0: That's what the Channel 4,
3: to be fair. They did pretty good. I, I'm not saying it's bad in that, I'm just saying, where can they take it with HBO? And yeah, so David Fincher is, is in charge of this
0: project and... I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I'm happier that uh, something like this is at HBO than say AMC. AMC obviously do great, great shows, but Preacher has rocked up at AMC, and I'm I'm really worried about that. Preacher is a great Garth and a Steve Dillon comic book. It's my favourite comic book of all time. Um, having said that, you know, I still haven't caught up with the Sandman completely. So thank you. But uh, it is it is absolutely phenomenal, and I just worry by going to AMC, uh, you know, a network that is dark and gritty, but. Doesn't allow the apocalyptic levels of swearing that are in, and that's in even one issue of Preacher. Not that it's integral to the story, but it's integral to the characters of this show. And the, and the pitch uh, was won by Seth I Rogen and uh,
3: he's. Evan Goldberg, yeah. Yeah, Evan Goldberg, yeah. And everyone's going, well, Preacher's going to be James Franco, won't he I mean, Matter of course. I'm right. not sure whether that's going to be the case, but it's interesting that they won the pitch. Is it going to be more comedic in comedic in tone?
0: Well, it's very comedic as it is. I no, mean, what
3: I'm saying yeah. is, its is it going to be their style of comedy rather than preacher's style of comedy? I don't think they're necessarily the same thing. Possibly.
0: I, I don't know. We will find out. They're not. They're not running the show. They're executive producing it. Mm. But uh, I do worry. I do worry that that AMC doesn't quite have the edge that, say, for example, uh, HBO would have with Utopia. Utopia is about to go to a second season, isn't it? A second yeah. series rather on Channel Four. So um, it's it's still ongoing. Really good cast: Neil Maskell and Stephen Ray, people like that. So
2: it could have ended up on stars, and then it would have just been wall to wall boobs and blood. So. Nothing
0: wrong with that, James. Yeah, bootopia. Yeah. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Uh, be safe, James.
2: What you got? Escape from New York. Uh, I'd hoped, prayed, longed that the uh, Escape from New York reboot had kind of fallen by the wayside, but apparently has not. Joel Silver recently been talking uh, to various people about this. Uh, it turns out that it's going to be a trilogy, and it is going to be about the birth of the walled city that is New York, which is an interesting thought. Apparently inspired Arkham City, the, the Batman game that came out a couple of years ago.
0: Not a bad starting point?
2: True, but there's a sense, and we've talked about this a lot for, with regard to Star Wars and all sorts of things, there's a sense that when you have a character as great as Russell Snake Pliskin. To sort of go back and explore and delve into, you know, why he became a hero, what was his life before he ended up in prison, I don't want to know that stuff. It takes away his mystique, and it just, you know, it sort of retroactively devalues the film that I love. So I'm being a little bit protectionist about this.
1: Yeah. Uh, it, uh, origin stories generally are kind of getting a bit bleh. That's a technical That's term. That's
2: a technical term that you'll find in many, many film studies. But really, but-
1: I mean, you know, we don't... I think you're completely right. We don't need to know where every character comes from. I can imagine nothing more boring than a hand solo origin movie. Do you know what I mean? I don't need to know. He's hand solo. Just let him be hand solo. Yeah. It's mm. the
2: same with Snake Plissken, I don't yeah. need to know what happened. I don't need to know the myth behind the man.
0: No, I, I agree. I agree completely by Snake Plissken Uh he should arrive fully formed as an arsehole. Uh however the idea of seeing how New York became a massive prison, that's interesting. But then I'll have to work Snake Plitzkin's story into it and then it gets a little bit dull. Uh I just don't think they should do this at all. No. And if they should do, if they are going to do this at all, Kurt Russell may be in his sixties now, but you know the guy still—he still has it. Apart from the grey hair, he doesn't look like he's aged much. He could still be Snake Bliskin in the third movie, and I would very, very much like to see that. But uh, you know, hey ho, younger is better. So Hollywood tells us.
2: you am I right in saying you quite like Escape from LA, don't you? No, you don't. Okay, fine, good. Just checking.
0: And that
3: was the end of that conversation. (laughs) Speaking of younger versions of, you know, when they're trying to do a reboot with the prequel angle, very briefly I want to mention the Ed Screen, uh, who you may know from Game of Thrones, he was uh, a character called Dario Naharis, sorry for getting that entirely wrong pronunciation, he is now going to play the younger version of Frank Martin in a planned Transporter prequel slash reboot which is making me very angry. You hide it well. Yeah, it's um yeah.
1: So you think that the uh the statham also belongs in this realm of, you know, characters whose mystique depends on you not knowing too much about them. Yeah. yeah. We yeah.
0: don't need to know anything about Frank Martin, apart from where are you from? <laughs> okay, sorry, what? You're, are you English? He's travelled a lot. He's travelled. You're, you're British now, are you? Cosmopolitan. Uh, we, we know that he's definitively not the gay. Um, <laughs> perhaps in this movie we can explore why he's not the gay. How he uh, found out he yes, wasn't the gay. Did, absolutely. Did, he, did he sample the gay and then go,
3: that's not for me? It's not for me. I'd rather not be the gay, thanks very much. I really, really Thank like the transporter movies. Fully aware that the third one is, as Jason Statham has said, was populated by and it's directed by... <laughs> <laughs> it is not the goods by hairdressers, uh, <laughs> was the way he described it. But it does have a bit where Jason Statham drives a car into a moving train. So it doesn't. Know. It
0: doesn't have to be this way. And it has the it double wheel stunt. St- the Stath the Stath is in his forties. He can still do it. He's making the mechanic too. Why is he not making Transporter but Four? He's now saying no to
3: Luke Besson. That's this is what's going on here. After <sighs> Transporter Three, he went. I'm not doing
0: that anymore. And when he's saying no, shouldn't you accept that? Who is this guy? Also, there's a, there's something to be said about, and as much as I I dig the first two transporter movies, there is something to be said for rebooting a franchise of frankly limited appeal. What,
1: why are they doing this?
0: He's bald and hits people with his fists.
1: They're cheap to make and they make a lot of money.
2: Shut I up, guess. Helen. with your logic? <laughs> there's a bit where he deflects a rocket with a tea Oh uh, no! Isn't that was that actually no, in the that film? That wasn't in the film. That's no, only, it's only in the, the trailer. trailer. Mm. Um, Ed Scrain Is he is he old Dariona Harris Or new Dariona Harris Old The one is no uh, longer on board Hence his ability to be in the new Transporter Now was well. he
0: replaced in Game of Thrones Because of the upcoming Transporter Or was he replaced yeah. I think
1: he's got a couple of other things That are ongoing at the moment Which meant he wasn't available for the series Just shot okay. Or just shooting Also
2: the role starts as a very sort of minor thing And it becomes a, yeah. a, a major one Going okay. forward So.
1: Um, I have a few bits and pieces uh, first of all uh, Divergent is coming out at the beginning of uh, April here Woo! in the UK um, it's the first of a series of uh, three novels by Veronica Roth uh, the second one uh, has already gone to a screenplay Akiva Goldsman is writing the script for that uh, and it now also has a director so Neil Berger is doing the first film but the second one will be from Red and R.I.P.D.'s Robert Schwenke now I I guess he could do with a franchise after RIPD to be perfectly honest so let's hope that the first divergent does well and you know he gets a chance to make the second
0: oh bless him uh, that's very bold and confident. Isn't it
1: is, it? it is. But then again, as I recall, The Mortal Instruments they announced a, a sequel before the first one came out, and that didn't work out so brilliantly for them. <laughs> but so it's still, no guarantee. They're still
0: doing it. They've they've gone back with a, they a very fastly uh, slashed budget, I believe. Wait, is, it,
1: yes. is it
2: slightly less
0: incesty? It's like it's like Dogville now. They're just. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> just sketched it out on
1: the floor. It would be a spoiler for me to answer that question. Oh, okay. Uh, James. Uh, in other news, there are reports that Star Wars has a shooting date. Uh, not too surprisingly, given that it's due out in December 2015, it is um, said to be shooting from May this year. So, from May until September. At Pinewood Studios, which would certainly gel with what we've heard about it mm. before, uh, with location shooting, uh, but we don't know where that is yet, so so that's the plan. Still no that's casting, a... apart from R2-D2. Apparently
0: all the casting's largely in place.
1: Yes, but uh, still another, another no announced casting.
0: Yeah, no announced casting. Yeah, that's exciting news. I mean, God, can you imagine being in a J.J. Abrams shoes. the very first day you walk on the set and, you know, call action on the Star Wars movie. I mean, fairly nervous times, I imagine.
1: I'm hoping that he's going to wear it. Now, it's New York Fashion Week at the moment, just to digress for a second. And Rodart, who are a big fashion label, they actually did uh, Natalie Portman's dance outfit in Black Swan but they're a big, big fashion label and when they unveiled their dresses this week, they unveiled a series of Star Wars inspired dresses I'm not kidding, they literally had the Death Star printed on one, Luke staring at the twin suns on another all sorts of crazy... Staring at
2: the twin suns? Was this designed how I think it was?
1: Sorry, twin moons, I guess. No, it wasn't sadly. Twin
2: suns. A sex thing. This is oh, all the right thing. No, okay.
1: y- Yoda's on another one. Um, basically, safe. yeah. So I'm I'm kind of. My vision, right, if, if JoJo's listening, is that he walks onto set in one of these fabulous gowns.
0: <laughs> well, that would certainly. I mean, wouldn't it? That would certainly put the actors' nerves at ease. I think. So. <laughs> I'm sure.
1: It'd work it's on so like, many levels.
2: Our director has lost it. Oh, <laughs> what do I do? Where's I will my be agent? camped outside the set for the duration <laughs> of the shoot. Going. I suppose you will be camp outside the I will be camp outside the <laughs> yes.
1: In one of those dresses. <laughs> JJ, JJ? put scale? me in the film.
2: I'd give it a five on my finger
3: scale. And the shoot's obviously taking place in London or just outside of London up in Pinewood. And ILM have had to move because there's so much post-production obviously required for a film like Star Wars Episode 7 They've uh, decamped uh, to, to London and are setting up their own base. It's great.
0: Yeah. Pop round, guys. Show us everything you've got. It's worth a try.
1: Yeah, it could work. It could work.
0: Uh, uh, Yes. Anything else?
1: One more very quick thing. Um, It was announced just after we went, uh, we put the podcast to bed last week. But Paul Bettany Mm -hmm. has obviously been in the Marvel movies today, or at least in the Iron Man movies and the Avengers, as Jarvis, the voice of Tony Stark's household computer madness. Um, (laughs) There is, there are now reports that he will actually be playing the android Avenger, the Vision in the new mm. Avengers movie now
0: this is exciting this
1: is exciting this is really exciting it makes a lot of sense it
0: does make a lot of sense um, why you does know, it make a lot of sense Helen?
1: well it makes a lot of sense because in the comic books um, the vision was created by Ultron uh-huh. this is of course Avengers Age of Ultron yes in the movie universe, it looks very much as though Ultron will be a creation of Tony Stark that goes horribly awry. Yes, and it makes a certain amount of sense that you know Jarvis would be in some way involved in his experiments in robotics. I agree. So, see, hence- that's
0: yeah. I tried to explain it to Lauren the on the Radio last week, and it got very horribly complicated. And uh, that was a much more concise version. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited about this. Uh, it, the news was broken by Baz Bammy Boy of the Daily Mail, who's very rarely wrong about these things. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's going to be very interesting. Interesting, and uh, hope we actually get to see Paul Bettany on screen. The Vision's long <laughs> been one of my favorite Avengers. He's startling to look at you with know, his green and yellow uh, color scheme and the red face, and his ability to become intangible. And he can phase through things, and he's super strong and virtually invulnerable. But he's also married to in the comics. Scarlet Witch. Scarlet Witch, who's played by Elizabeth Olsen in the movie, and she's the sister of
1: Quicksilver. Quicksilver. He's played
0: by Aaron so Taylor Johnson in the
2: movie. The Marvel equivalent of Jigolo Joe is, is what we're saying. Uh, yes. yes, yes, he's a sex kind bot. Of. He, wow! Yeah,
1: that's a way I hadn't thought of it before, and no. never want to think of it again. Wow! Oh. <laughs> the, my, own, my only reservation on this is: are there too many characters in the film for everybody to get a fair bite of the cherry? Cherry? I don't know. Orange? Be safe. Um, but. <laughs> But, I mean, in Joss we trust, so uh, so fingers crossed everything will, will be awesome.
0: Yes, uh, because The Avengers now has about 800 different people in it.
1: That's so, true. Yeah,
0: but it's that's, that's good, it's that's fine, I'm sure it'll be okay, and um, everything will be monkey-dory. And uh, very, very briefly, of course, I think we should also mention that we lost a a couple of great actors this week. Uh, Shirley Temple, perhaps the quintessential child star, uh, passed away this week from natural causes. And then uh, last night, just as we're recording this, we'll be recording Thursdays, obviously, uh, Sid Caesar. Um, who I don't think many people in the UK really knew or revered. I mean, certainly I saw Danny Baker on Twitter last night hailing him as one of the greatest comedians of all time. I don't think we really got to see that. Certainly he's someone who wasn't on my yeah. radar that much going up, but he was in a, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, "Greece," uh, So... Yeah, I think it, his
1: his his legacy as as far as I guess we in the UK are concerned because we didn't really get the TV shows. Um, is the, are the writers that he hired for his TV shows, which included yeah. the likes of you know Carl Reiner and Woody Allen, so he and Mel Brooks. So he mm. he helped those g- give those people a start, and and they obviously went on to great things. So he's. Uh, He's, he's left his legacy for us, for the world, I guess, uh, outside of America in that way.
0: And there's a lot of Sid Caesar sketches on YouTube now if you want to go and check it out uh, from his heyday in the uh, 50s. So uh, there you go, Shirley Temple and Sid Caesar. Rest in peace. OK, let's move on now to our, our second and final interview of the week. It's the second time Nick Frost has been on the podcast. Is that right? Yeah, it's right. Uh, but Cuban Fury marks a very different project for the actor because this is his first lead role without... Semapeg, or Edgar Wright. It's a fun and frothy rom-com that sees Frost take to the dance floor for a spot of salsa. Not only did he star and executive produce, but it was his idea as well, which he sent to producer Naira Park in a drunken 3am email. He came in recently to talk to Helen and Ali, and things got pretty damn silly. Enjoy.
7: Hello. Hello.
1: Hello. So, Nick Frost, was it always salsa? Uh
7: Yes, it was always salsa. No ballet? No, I'm not sure. I think... Uh, this is the this is what I formulated I used to live in a, I didn't live in it although maybe I did I lived and worked in a Mexican restaurant for many years and they used to send hours and hours of Latin music for us to play over the PA mm-hmm. which kind of annoyed me too because it was a Mexican restaurant and yet they'd send the Bonavista Social Club which is from Cuba mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you oh. idiots I just lump it in ah, it's all Latin in it. <laughs> No, it isn't all Latin. So I think there was that thing on, on, on Monday afternoons when the, the rush had died down at two o'clock and I knew that it was just me here for the next three hours until I was relieved by the waiters uh, just listening to that, just spinning a tray and polishing a glass, and listening to that music. And after five years of that, I think it bored into my mind that it was going to be salsa.
1: See, I worked in a shoe shop once and they used to play Abigold on a loop.
7: What's Abigold? Abba. Sorry, Abba Oh, Gold. sorry. Yeah. Abba, um, I thought what?
1: Abby, yeah. Uh, I, isn't that a have butter? I missed
3: something? I think that's a butter. Yeah, <laughs> why not? Let's make it one.
1: <laughs> but yeah, so uh, frankly, I would have taken some salsa. Here's Gold. <laughs>
7: Coming up shortly, a little bit of Abba Gold. Muse and Abigold. <laughs> there, the, there are a series of great
3: posters for this film. But you yeah. know the one I'm about to bring up, which is flash dance.
7: Oh yeah, it's great, right?
3: When you're sitting in a office chair essentially, leaning back on it as approximately
7: three buckets of water are chucked at you. <laughs> Was something pitched to you? I mean, I think we always wanted that idea of having that as a poster. The conversations we have about posters and the marketing of these these films, it's really difficult because, you know, as a someone who has created this, you struggle for it to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm but there is a company wanting the posters to be as broad as possible to get as many people into the cinema. And that is something I completely understand, by the way. So it's a real fight for me to try and find a halfway house with something that I would be willing to retweet, for instance. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, this it was shot by a guy called Gavin Bond, who's a fashion photographer. He's an English guy who lives in New York and he's one of the best photographers in the world and he's a good bloke. And they they built like a really big... Set for that thing, uh, and we shot it at Elstree, and it was one of those things that it took like half a day. Yeah. And they built like a giant tank that I sat in, and then there was a giant tank above me which showered down water just for that one image. Elstry and they warmed series. it as well, so the water was warm, ah. which was pretty cool.
1: That's that's next level stuff. That's very kind of luxurious, you know, yeah. poster creation. I
7: yeah. Think. We
3: need to create a seat shower. I think that would be a
7: nice. Yeah or there there is a what's that sit- sit down but the bath night <laughs> I always fancy one of those, but you have to get in it and then fill it up, yeah, yeah. and at what age is that acceptable oh, i don't of care I, I often <laughs> think I'm, I'd like a bath where it's vertical
1: a tiny swimming pool,
7: yeah, you just stand in it, I know what it's you're saying like the, it's like a plunge pool and you just stand in it. It's the opposite of that No Surprises Radiohead music video where he just fills up with water. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, well, we'll paint that like now. It's shaped like a pipe, like a metre and a half <laughs> across, and you just get down into it and you just fill it up.
1: I, I, see, I foresee some he's so getting out. Okay. Yeah, I've got it,
7: I've got it. On its end, uh huh. Yeah. with it sealed up and the top cut off, and then you just stand in that. M- my worry is it needs a name. The bath tube. Bath tube. Bang. Bang. The up bath. Bang. Here's Abigail. Gold. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So the, the film itself, you came up with at 3am. Is Yeah, this...
7: well, no, I mean, I'd had the idea for years, okay. and it wasn't an idea then, it was, it was a secret, you know, it was a fear, because uh, I like dancing, but I was always, I hate being looked at by, I don't like being looked at by, you know, if you dance and you're good at it as a big man, a lot of people tend to look at you and give you a really horrible, patronising look as if I've just <laughs> overcome some kind of terrible illness. <laughs> If I could put it into words it would be this. Oh. Oh. That oh well
1: done you. Oh look oh. at him. He's
7: really no matter what life throws at him <laughs> he's really going for it. And he can walk. Yeah, yeah. And he seems to have a fairly attractive wife. Weird. I bet she has to wipe his ass. <laughs> uh she doesn't. I do it with a rag on a stick. But you know there's that and I hated it and I hate it and I don't think it's right. So I had I I had a secret and that secret was I wanted to be a dancer. And I wanted to to do a really beautiful dance film, you know. I'm a big fan of the film Strictly Ballroom, mm-hmm. and I think we watched that a lot for this film. And in terms of the comedy is funny, and the drama is dramatic, and the dancing is amazing. And it and it had to be all those things, you know. And so I, one day at 3 a.m., I was kind of drunk enough, and I I thought, yeah, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. And I sent this email off to Naira, which was the pitch for the film more or less you don't have to be aesthetically beautiful necessarily to be attractive you know if you're passionate about something then it sometimes it's enough because the aesthetic beauty kind of fades as you get older but passion doesn't Mm. here's epic old uh (laughs) here's passion by epic old and that that's what this the film was about and and i kind of woke up the next day with a really dry mouth and checked my emails, and there was an email from Naira who, who I'd sent my letter to and and it said, well, This is great well let's, let's have a meeting and that was it, and I knew then it was out of my hands I've, looking back, I was like a serial killer who wanted to get caught <laughs> you know i wanted I wanted it to be taken out of my hands, so I then knew that I would have to do it yeah. you know mm-hmm. and I, I mean I think for me personally, after doing the films that i 've done, I wanted to really challenge myself and I knew at that point then it, I, it would it would have to be that.
1: So are you a procrastinator like you need a deadline to to do something
7: No I'm pretty driven okay. but in terms of that you know I didn't want to do it I didn't want to do a dance film but I did Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't you know the thought of we shot that finale of the film in front of 500 of the countries if not Europe and the world's best salsa dancers oh. so to have to stand on a stage for a week and and dance in front of these people it was, I think it was the most expensive ever form of therapy it was, yeah, it was seven figure therapy.
1: So we can expect you out on the dance floor at the next Empire Awards
7: uh, Yeah, I would think so, I'm not really that bothered now, but then a, a lot of it is expectation <laughs> yeah. for me too so if I'm expected to do something I'm a very stubborn man and I just won't imme- I I will immediately not do it
1: Forget that I said that
7: Yeah, okay. Okay. I will then, don't, <laughs> don't do, I will do it, it
1: alright, I'll, I'll, I'll
7: dance <laughs>
3: this is confusing uh, one of the things I love about the film was the, the use of vinyl, I love seeing vinyl on film, I love seeing cassettes on film my question for you is when was the last time you made a mixtape and do you have a song when you make a mixtape either for a cassette or
7: uh, or just regular Spotify or whatever that you keep finding yourself using I don't remember the last time I made a mixtape um, but as ever it would have been for a, a go but I I, there's, there's lots of songs like that that I listen to time and time again. But I, what's that song? It takes two by Rob Bass and uh, I don't know if you've heard that, but it's it's an amazing kind of old hip hop classic mm-hmm. which I listen to a lot. And there's a song I'll house you by the J- Jungle Brothers <laughs> which I listen to a lot. And whenever I'm asked to come on a radio show and and you know put it you know put a playlist together, it's always that <laughs> that's always on there because I also think it's like. How often does that get played out on the radio?
1: Not nearly enough, I'd say.
7: I don't want to reveal too much from the film, because there are lots of little moments that
3: you want to just experience the first time. But board games are Mm -hmm. part of this, and so is Ian McShane. Was there a pinch yourself moment when you find yourself playing a board
7: game with Ian McShane? Because for me, he's some kind of walking god. Yeah, yeah, Uh, he is. I'm just lucky to be here, to be honest. and (laughs) to, To get the chance to work with people like Ian is... There, there's never a day when I don't come in and look at the call sheet and see that Ian's on or or, or Chris or Rashida or, mm. you know, Jim Broadbent in Hot Fuzz or Olivia, you know, and, or Paddy Considine, Eddie Marzan, It's everything we do, you know, the cast we have is, they're always amazing. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of the time on that board game, me and Ian spent looking at the board game trying to work out what it was because <laughs> our art department had made it. <laughs> they couldn't clear anything, so we had to make one. <laughs> so it's just the most ridiculous board game in the world. Uh, but he's, you know, that was a really great scene to shoot because it was really long, and it's nice to shoot long scenes as an actor because you feel like you're working, you know, you feel like you're doing some actings. And there was a scene in World's End when we, go, we make it to the bowls club at the end. You know, it's just me and Eddie and Paddy and Simon left. Mm. And uh, it's like a nine-page scene, and after the first uh, after the first rehearsal on set, Paddy Considine said, "Who's going to want to watch nine minutes of acting?" And he, <laughs> it was exactly you know it was right, but it was amazing to do like big long scenes with these amazing actors. Yeah, and that's what I felt like doing that scene with with Ian. You know, he's a fantastic actor, and he's he's older than you he's older than you imagine, but he looks amazing. You so, did put him in a 1980s uh, tracksuit, which I got a big hit out, yeah. out of right at the beginning. Yeah, we did. He's got like a uh got a Lecoq Sportif uh, tracksuit. But at the weekends and that, I'd say, what are you doing this weekend? He said, ah, I'm off I'm off to Manchester to see Mum and Dad. i say, well, you have a Mum and a Dad? <laughs> <laughs> it's not just someone you know called Mum and Dad. He didn't
1: just spring fully no, from like, the brown he's yeah,
7: Carved from rock is how I see <laughs> yeah. Ian McShane. He hewn, just arrived. Hewn from living rock.
3: I, I, there's a there's a bit in the film which has stuck with me at one point, a count, says that they're incredibly good at recognising dog breeds from their silhouettes. <laughs> yeah. Is this an actual skill you have? Please tell me. This
7: uh, is a skill well, you have. That, that whole thing was improvised, uh, so I improvised all those different things. But, yeah, well, because I improvised them, probably, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think my other favourite one there is African money. <clears throat> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm a kind of geography nerd as well. So I As, as well as a dog breed nerd. Yeah. Any particular favourites? Dog breeds? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I have a border a terrier. Uh, as you can probably hear, I've got a cold, so uh, I had him in bed with me last night oh. and he, he was really snuggling up. He, has a, he does a weird mm. thing that whenever I sneeze, he has to get up to see if I'm all right. which oh. well, You say, oh, but it's kind of annoying. <laughs> Eventually I say, oh, just, just lay down. I'm fine, I am fine. I'll put you in the upright <laughs> bath if you're like this. Come on, get in the bath night.
1: <laughs> I'm just having a vision of the terrier swimming in tiny uh, circles.
7: Like a lovely soup. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's like that Arrested Development thing. It's, it's, I call this dog soup. It's like water, but with a smack of dog to
1: it. <laughs> oh,
7: God. Anyway.
1: Um, Arrested Development makes me think of Parks and Rec, which makes me think of Rashida Jones. So are you a Parks and Rec fan? Is that how you settled on her all
7: yeah uh you know i i like i like rashida i've known rashida for a while and we have lots of friends in common and we've bumped into each other before but i never really you know got to hang out with her and it was we we had a i would say a meeting because it was a meeting but it we hung out in in some trendy soho bar and we met at like five in the afternoon and we were still there at nine, just gabbing away and, and, and realising that it was one of those meetings with someone who you just realise they get it. And and it's kind of rare, you know, I think when you, you don't have to explain the joke mm. or <laughs> yeah. you don't get that point where someone says, what, what do you mean? And then you explain it and they say, oh, but I thought, you, oh, just, for, just forget it. I hate you and your <laughs> belief system. But she just got it and we just had a laugh, you know. And... Uh, there was a bunch of other girls, but um, once I won't tell you who they were either. But yeah. after I'd met Rashida, I'd, even though I went through with the meetings, my heart wasn't in them. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. And and there, I love the blogs, the
3: video blogs, where I got to see you and your your enjoyment of
7: clapperboards. That was I love part. them. Just got a bloody love clapperboards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it can for me as an actor, it can really lift my performance if if the clapper if the guy delivering the clap. Does it with verve and gusto, mm. um, but it's funny watching people clap. You know they won't do it in your face if you're like a if you're like a big actress. They do it really quietly. Some people don't like it. Can I tell you a funny story about Rashida? Yes. We went out to have dinner after she'd got the part and stuff, and um, I think she was here for for rehearsal. So I said, "Why don't we meet up? Let's go and have a nice dinner together, and you know, toast the film being made." And so I got to her hotel at like. 7 o'clock, she said, come and meet me at 7 o'clock. And I was sat in the lobby, foyer, whatever you want to call it, and it was then, you know, it was like half past 7, and I'm like, gosh, she's really late. Because I'm really early, so I was there at ten two, Uh, And then I got a text from Rashida saying, hey, will you come up to my room a second? And, you know, I'm a married man, and Rashida's a beautiful woman, and then there was that twinge of, oh, no, what, I, <laughs> what if I'm... Offer what if she comes on? Oh no, I don't really know her, and she's really pretty, and you know, I mean, r- 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 craziness to even imagine that would happen. And I went, and I was really nervous, and I, I knocked on her door, and she opened the door to her room, and she had a hairbrush stuck in her hair, <laughs> and she couldn't get it out. And so the first time I really got to hang out with her, I spent 40 minutes p- p- picking a brush out of her hair. And no. I knew at that point that I'd kind of fallen for her. <laughs> well, it's it's at least you didn't let your wife know. No, 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 and was... you haven't said it on a podcast, so. No, my wife doesn't even know what a, a frigging computer is, so she doesn't know what a podcast You're is. You're safe. It's fine. Yeah, uh, teasing knots out of <laughs> Rashida Jones's hair. It's a great way to meet anybody. That should be on more, yeah. more dates, really. You could get a brush caught in that. I, I, there is a brush in here. Is there? Yeah, you I could get it out. You could. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll just wrap this up. I'll then... pop my cardio off.
1: I'll, I'll leave you two alone. No, no.
7: Why don't you watch? <laughs> <laughs> you get the iPhone out. With why it, don't look. you sketch it?
1: <laughs> oh, like like one of Jack's French gonna, girls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah.
3: Good. All right. Well,
7: that's a plan. And Nick Frost, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. It always is, but thank you so much. And um, can I ask you a question? Go ahead your wallet and phone is here on the table do you not get bored of a wallet go on no no I'm just saying doesn't it feel bulky in your pocket I feel like when a Seinfeld episode look Le- at that it's, that's like two it, inches it's, it's so a, big it's a chunky monkey it's, there's a lot of leather
3: in there yeah Yeah. maybe I do get bored of it Nick what do you use trim it down nothing nothing No. you don't use money no you don't Buy need the money queen. You, you walk uh, into uh, a bar and go Steve guess who it is <laughs>
7: <laughs> I'll
3: have two of those nuts mate, please
7: I <laughs> no I just have my cards just loose in my pocket you, you, know I'm far too no. You're giving me heart palpitations. I couldn't do that. Yeah, really. So just yeah. just that, just that, and your cash. Oh, imagine that! All that gone. I'm gonna to have to have a word with myself. Well oh, the is... Americans have the idea with that little clip. I've got a little clip at home, which money is clip. Nice. Yeah, that's nice. Well, what but that got... works in America where you have a one. Yeah. So you yeah. can have a big pack of ones and just. So you got a little. Clip imagine out. that! Just that with your card and your your driver's license. All right. Okay. I think you'd feel nicer. I know. I'd feel cleaner. Yeah, you would. Uh, I all right because because i i trust you give
3: it a go i'm gonna give it a go that's so much actually this is like a clapperboard listen uh, and acting. okay <laughs> right okay in machine. a uh, board anyway thanks again so much Nate. thank you until,
7: thank you for having me
0: and until until next time yeah okay time for reviews now shall we start with cuban fury let's let's start with cuban fury sure
1: so this is the story of a former child dancer Um, obviously played by Nick Frost so the idea is that we see at the very beginning of the film he's trained by Ian McShane He's, he's making waves as a teenager but one day on the way to his competition dressed in all his finery um, he is horribly bullied uh, and, and kind of just walks away from the whole thing, just gives up on it. Um, and when we meet him as an adult years later, he is, he is kind of hemmed in on himself. He's closed off. He's given up on dancing. He's kind of given up, up on life, I think, in a lot of ways. And he's kind of spurred back into action when a new girl joins the company. She's played by Rashida Jones. He you know, begins a little bit of a crush on her. And when he finds out that she's into salsa dancing, he decides that he's going to kind of learn again he's going to start taking it up again and sets off so I mean the director describes this as a kind of a superhero origin story which it, it sort of is if if your only superpower is is you know rhythm I guess but it's it's really quite charming I mean Nick Frost is so likeable that y- you just root for him whatever is happening and, and that's kind of the case here
3: I don't know why Kyber Novak isn't a really 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 big star he's Agreed. in this film and he just walks in whenever he's on the screen he just steals it he yeah. just absolutely walks away the whole the whole film lifts everyone's just suddenly on that in the mood for laughter and is, is happier and smiling and all that kind of good stuff he gets away with something which i didn't think i'd see work you know in the, in the 21st century which is a super camp uh frothy silly character which is, man yeah yeah you yeah. think you think it's something out of the 70s but he just you know, refuses to not make you laugh.
4: Yeah,
0: yeah. And he fills he fills the character with heart, and uh, that's the thing about this movie for me. I mean, whenever it was first announced, I thought, oh, this could be a British Blades of Glory or you know something silly and broad, and uh, instead they focus on a different tone, which is quite sincere and it's quite sweet, and the characters have a lot of heart. And you know, it's it's it is for me. I thought very funny in places, and uh, you're right, Ková Novak is uh, it's it's one of those weird things because he was fantastic in Four Lions, he's brilliant in Face Jacker and Phone Jacker. He's great in this He's tall He's good looking I don't quite know Why Hollywood hasn't picked him up yet Because he's, he's phenomenal I
3: compare him to Peter Serafinowicz Who I don't understand Why he isn't A really really big deal He's yeah.
0: fantastically funny Great with voices I Just Anyway There anyway. you go know. Yes, yeah. but it's it's got great performances as well. Nick Frost is, is is excellent as a straight man, very much anchors the whole thing. Yeah. Chris O'Dowd as the malevolent bad guy. He's
1: really horrible in this. Like he's genuinely, <laughs> he is. he's the most horrible I've ever seen Chris O'Dowd be, <laughs> um, and uh, which was to to an almost disturbing degree at times. Um, yeah. I thought if the, if there's one kind of reservation I have in terms of the cast, it's it's Rory Kinnear, and it's not because he gives gives a bad performance because I don't think he's capable of giving a bad performance, but he's cast as quite a sort of slightly stupid best friend to Nick Frost's character I, I just, I never bought him as stupid because um, he's a very very smart guy so, uh, but apart from that you know and, and Olivia Colman I would have liked to have seen more from her character because she's always always fantastic.
3: She's wonderful, she is so so sweet and lovely, I, I love her her character is such a lot of fun she plays a kind of tiki girl at a, <laughs> at a themed bar and she's just very easy to love. One thing I would say about this film is that it does have it is sweet, and I'd say recommend it to your mum and dad type of thing. But it isn't afraid of doing jokes where they list four different very graphic ways of expressing the idea of semen. Uh, so there's that. There's another bit where Rory Kinnear talking about a girl goes why don't you and bear in mind that nick frost he works in a company of uh, people who designed uh, specialist uh, tools like lathes and stuff like that he says mm, grind in the lathe grind in the lathe and i found that quite uncomfortable and at times i wondered oh i quite I, I, up to that point i kind of wanted my mum to watch this and now i'm a bit
0: worried just putting it out there you never know you never know though uh yeah we're given a three stars i mean it does have some problems is slightly patchy but uh, generally I quite liked it's heart and I thought yeah. it was very funny. So, it's very sweet. Yeah very very sweet indeed. Three stars for Cuban Fury uh, and now it's time for the Lego movie in which a nondescript yellow guy Emmett is chosen to go on a quest to save the world of Lego and prove that everything is awesome.
2: Is everything awesome?
3: I love this film.
0: <laughs> I say the film oh, well, what, Is there a dissenter? Have you seen it?
2: <laughs> I can't comment on this film because I haven't seen it but I'm the, I'm the resident office Lego hater if only because every trailer for this left me absolutely cold didn't but, crack a smile but you are an laugh. enemy of comedy and an enemy of fun I am an enemy of fun
3: I think what this is is that if you don't find something funny you don't go and see it and that's what trailers are for and it's worked for you and it's worked for me that's so very insightful it's
0: me. all great isn't it everything is awesome it, 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 it's tr- it was extraordinary to me how many people went to see Anchorman 2 hating their first one <laughs> And then came out of it going, that was, that was rubbish, wasn't it? Well, you like, saw well, the trailer. You, your mind was made up before you went in. Why would you even go and see it? You're stupid. Anyway, this
3: film, I love it. That said, with things that I love, I'm aware of its faults. I actually walked out of this film. I was looking forward to it so much. I love Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who obviously brought us 21 Jump Street. They're going to bring us 22 Jump Street. They brought us Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. I love their comic sensibility. They're very zippy and fun and full of energy and just likeable, lovely guys. Uh, I've interviewed them a couple of times, and I do like them a lot. So mm. I was in the tank for this film. I was ready to love it. And I did. But few things. A few things that kind of niggle with me. To set the scene here, this came out in America last week, and it has made in its weekend $69 million. It was expecting $40 million i.e. that would be good but huge word of mouth great reviews, people heralding it class, you know, just casually as a masterpiece have just gone it's the best and it just ran away with the box office, behind it was Monuments Man with about 20, 22 million uh, so it's doing really well over there and I think a lot of people are going to walk into this film thinking it is the best thing you'll ever see I would say some people will walk out and go well that isn't quite what I was expecting, it is a surprisingly clever surprisingly heartfelt complicated film that it isn't just what you'd expect, right? Lego Movie character called Emmett meets a bunch of other different people. Uh, a girl called Wildstyle, played by Elizabeth Banks, who's ninja-style graffiti artist, crazy character. Then you've got Morgan Freeman as a space wizard who can't see but's very wise. And you, you know you can kind of see this is going to be a little romp, and it is. But there's a lot of complications in there, and it will make you think. And it will. It will. There are twists in this film.
0: Well basically what it is is it's set in a world that uh, that about utter conformity isn't it it's it's, mm. over, it's overseen by this man called uh, president business or oh, lord business yeah lord business played by Will Ferrell uh, and the lego society the, the society that Emma grows up in is all about following rules and following instructions and yeah. Emmett played voiced brilliantly by Chris Pratt so who good is, just amazing is uh, a guy who just happily follows along these rules without thinking without yeah. questioning anything and then while sal comes into his life because he is uh, revealed at some point as the chosen one who yes will... he finds a special brick yeah. and this special brick is a super mcguffin uh,
3: which means that he because he found it is this chosen one but he is just a guy and he follows the instructions page one page two page three page four mm-hmm. uh the first half hour of this film I would describe it as uh, a flying saucer, fried eggs and cherry cola bottle milkshake. It is mainlining sherbet. It is so much fun. It is a jolt to the system and you will have the worst slash best sugar crash after watching this film. In the second act, it gets a bit thinky. In the third act, it picks it up again. Uh, the music is so much fun the song that you'll have in your head is Everything is Awesome which is done uh, by the uh, Lonely Island and Tegan and Sarah I'm, I'm writing, I'm updating my feature on um, movie Earworms just because this is that catchy We've really been seeing it is... in the office all week yeah. all week. And There is got... also
1: an unplugged version over the credits do stay for the credits for that
0: oh, And yeah. do stay for the credits for um, a, a song by Will Arnett who plays Lego Batman in this hmm. uh, which is extraordinary, you know, Batman has recorded a single and it is just a amazing.
1: amazing I have to say as a bit of a Batman skeptic yes he is my definitive Batman
0: I agree I said on Twitter this week, he's the he is the greatest of all screen Batman.
1: He is. He uh, really
3: is. I, I think he's another one of those people Why I don't understand why he isn't huge as well. I think Will Arnett is fantastic and I don't know why he isn't as big, say, as his wrestling development co-star uh, Jason Bateman. There are also great cameos, as well as the, to- as yeah. well as the twists mm. I'm talking about. It has different worlds, as well as this kind of city-bustling townscape that Emmett's part of. There's the Wild West, which is possibly my favourite section of the whole film. <laughs> There's a bit where... If you played the game, the Lego games, you press a button when you've collected all the things that you need to collect to assemble something, and you press B or whatever if you're on an Xbox controller, and it just goes... A little bit like a friendlier version of the robots transforming in Transformers, and then the thing is created. This happens maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 times in the film, and when it does happen, it just fills you with this undefinable rush, and there's a bit in the Wild West section where they create this uh, sleigh, uh, and it's being ridden at, at the front set of huskies, it's pigs. And you meet the pigs, and they're all those plastic one brick pigs, and they just go ike 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 ike. But then suddenly, at the end of this creation, because these people are master builders and their special abilities—the ability to create anything out of anything—they can break conformity and do something special. They line up all the pigs in one go, twelve, and all six, six and six, side by side, all go at once, and they go ike, and I just lost it, lost it. I found it so funny, I couldn't, I just couldn't help myself. It is a film that has so much detail in these individual stop-motion-looking but not actually made with stop-motion CGI scenes that you can't pick up all the detail.
1: I think some of it is. They they—they they did have real Lego bricks that they sort of
3: they shot did, and used.
0: They do in the credits.
1: Uh, yeah. I think they had some for the film as well.
0: They decided against it. OK. It's um, amazing. I, I promised at the very very beginning that uh, Ali Plum would go nuts for the I Lego don't movie. give a shit. Um, I love this film.
3: It, go it, home. Hang
1: on. This this film is I think genuinely this what's great about this film is because I was I was talking to the BBC were trying to make this into a sort of is this just one big long advert kind yes. of a thing. And they were they were concerned that what we if we went see if you went to see this film that you would basically just be like what what you know, watching an advert for Lego. And of course you, are. you come out of this thinking that Lego is awesome. But the reason that you come out of this thinking that Lego is awesome is not because this is a film where where they go oh my goodness look what you can do with this piece of lego and have you seen this piece of lego and isn't this fabulous lego set really good fabulous now as well what they do is they basically they get to grips with what makes playing with lego so good they get to grips with the experience of playing rather than the toy that you're playing with. And that's genuinely what brings this film to life because it has that madness of when you're, you're, when you're a kid and you have your favourite, you know, mm-hmm. your ba- Batman Lego figure and your pirate Lego m- figure and you want to play with them both at once and you invent this ridiculous scenario which has both and also you can bring in your spaceship because you really like spaceships. It, it, it has that sense about it, and that's what makes this so freaking awesome.
0: It is. Uh, it, it's fantastic. Uh, when I saw it, I thought, uh, weirdly, that it wasn't as funny as I was hoping it might be. But it's a very, very clever, touching, slightly subversive, heartfelt, surprisingly heartfelt movie at the end. Uh, movie about connections. I won't give too much away. But I think the ending might define some people. But anyway, mm. having said that, it's one of those movies I think this could be the case. It's one of those movies where in the, uh, in the office all week people have been quoting lines to me that I didn't necessarily find that funny initially. But now, Love. And I have a feeling it could be like an Anchorman in that case. It yeah. could be it could be a movie that just grows and grows and grows, and you're in 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 uh, esteem the more you think about it, and the more you watch it. Um, I think it's absolutely fantastic. I had an absolute blast with it. Miller and Lord can do no wrong. Quite frankly, they're they're amazing uh, writers and directors, and this movie tonally doesn't put a foot wrong. It may be stylistically a little bit of an overload. I know we've realized I've realized we talked about this movie for about forty five minutes <laughs> now, but. Uh, it is great we gave it four stars I think you can probably sense from around the table that we some of us might go a little bit further than that maybe possibly depending especially on your situation if you're I'm very happy with four
3: I must say I think there are parts of the ending which you'll be quite divided by... It will be divided, it. I, I wish also, we could also, talk about it more. I Me too, and I, I also would like to say that it goes on a little too long, and I think you will get exhausted, you'll get kind of like visual exhaustion um, yeah. unless, like I say, you've mainlined uh, Sherbert. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld also made a funny, interesting comment, which is the relationship between the characters of Superman and Green Lantern who are in this film, lots of Warner's characters are in this film, who are played by, Superman is played by Channing Tatum, and Green Lantern is being played by Joe Hill, who you may connect here with some dots, 21 Jump Street. And uh, their character Jerry Seinfeld said Oh yeah you stole my joke Hashtag Lego my joke uh, Because in some 90s Amex commercial They had a similar relationship between Superman and, and Greenland Couldn't be a better promotional tool He loved the Lego movie So if Jerry Seinfeld likes it you should like it Wow I know right Lego my movie This you, is like, you like Lego Jerry propaganda
0: Seinfeld? You like Seinfeld Not anymore <laughs> that turned that turned quickly (laughs) four stars for the Lego movie which as we always say in the podcast is a recommendation now let's turn our good eyed gaze to the Monuments Men in which George Clooney and his Balabanda brothers going together to stop the Nazis from destroying great works of art at the tail end of WW2
1: Yeah, well, this is an interesting one. It's based on a a really, uh, really fascinating true story, uh, which is about a tiny group of men who were basically museum curators, restoration artists, some artists, some sculptors, some architects even, who were basically recruited to... It was, it was partly a public relations exercise and partly a very, very sincere attempt to protect what should be protected at the end of the war. So it was basically to ensure that the Allies, as they moved forward, wouldn't, you know, destroy any sites of, of massive cultural significance because there was still a kind of a propaganda war going on with the Nazis. It was also just to protect the culture. You know, the, um, George Clooney's character here, who's based on, on the real kind of motivating figure behind this, basically says he is trying to wipe out the culture of the countries that he has conquered and, and replace it with his own Third Reich that will stand for a thousand years by beating it, beating him isn't enough. We have to also save our history and save our culture. So these guys basically went along. They tried to persuade their own troops not to, for example, destroy sites of cultural his- uh, significance if the Nazis were hiding in them. But more important, as the war came to an end, was their job in trying to to race, really, to recover and find uh, artefacts and art that the Nazis had stolen and get it back. So basically, that's what all of them are doing um, it's kind of a men on a mission movie. Uh, it's a little bit different from normal because they're not always together. They're uh, at most two of them usually together at a time trying to race around the very different sections of the front, which, I mean, this is kind of all based on the real history. They had very limited resources. They had to get across a 200-mile section of front. There was still fighting going on and they had to find everything that could be found. So it's a, kind of a, it's a difficult one to adapt, mm. I think, into a movie in some ways um, in that, you know, you don't have the, the group together shooting the shit yeah. and, or
0: shooting at all
3: or
1: shooting at all uh, true and and it is you know it does depend on you seeing the value of what they're trying to do in the middle yeah. of a war
0: there are certainly expectations that come with George Clooney doing a, a group of guys doing something movie yeah. I, I hesitate to call it a Men in the Mission movie because it's quite scattershot and quite widespread there's not, it's not yeah. unlike say Kelly's Heroes or The Train which are movies that come to mind when you're watching sure. World War 2 movies that that have heist elements uh, it, there isn't one concentrated mission there isn't one concentrated thing that they need to do there is and there isn't, there
1: isn't they, they they focus on a couple of particular pieces of art just to give it a little bit of a, no, a drive there's no yeah.
0: momentum here really uh, I can see why we gave this film two stars and I can absolutely see why a lot of people have been disappointed with it they did okay in the States it opened to 22 million in the States and I think it'll do well in terms of word of mouth uh, having said that I can see why we gave it two stars but because uh, it's quite unfocused it, but in his in commitment to telling a true story it loses cinematic momentum I think that's true and uh, that's a bit of a demerit for it you don't really get a sense of chemistry from the from the, from the the team ha- having said that I quite enjoyed it it's quite a laid back film it's quite a it, it's a film that knows what it wants to be it just isn't necessarily what you may have wanted it to be yeah I,
1: th- I think that, that's kind of how I feel as well it's um, it's a film that is uh it it sometimes does this sort of tell tell don't show. There are several speeches explaining what the monuments men are trying to do instead of just kind of showing us what they're trying to do and I think it it rests on the laurels of its cast to quite an extent rather than giving everybody necessarily a scene to shine and it is i mean it's a fantastic cast you've got. I don't think we've even mentioned that Jean Dujardin is in there. Mm-hmm. You know, Kate Blanchett's in there. She's mm-hmm. playing a character expressly and repeatedly described in the book as dowdy and frumpy. Uh, so, you know, Hollywood. But, uh, but you know, I, I, I was just really interested in it. But it does feel it feels really old fashioned. It feels like this could have been made in the 50s. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't have the pace of a modern film.
3: Let me be a bit more two stars about this. I watched this just a couple of days ago and I cannot stop thinking about different things that I thought were really really weird that they did. This is a movie where you see different people go go to different areas and unpack boxes and go, "Oh my god, it's this thing." And I'm not an art specialist. I don't know much about art. There were two things that you've mentioned or, or alluded to where you are explained like you it's explained to you. This is a sculpture which is a really big deal and this is an ornate series of paintings above uh, above an altar that's that's a big deal but some of the other stuff you're just going wow that's a painting which obviously has been made by the props department and there's another one i spent maybe two hours after the film that lasted two hours which is a movie about unpacking boxes unpacking this film because <laughs> there was so much in there that i just went why did they do that it, at the ending it has two walk into the lights two not one but two this is a movie where they explain we're doing this for the art we're going to risk our lives for the art. They say the phrase or words along the lines of we're doing this for the art, we're risking our lives for the art.
0: They say repeatedly, is a human life, is a piece of art worth a life?
3: About 30 times. It is astonishing how often they beat that drum. The characters are all very much based on the personas the screen personas of these great people that we know and love, John Goodman, Bill Murray I didn't feel like I knew them in any way other than them being Bill Murray. Bill Murray is Bill Murray in his character and John Goodman is quite John Goodman-y. I, I wondered whether there could have been more to do with those people so I could connect with them more. And I love all of them so they get away with it. But And the other thing, this is a movie about masterpieces but, and here's the line it feels like it descends into a series of sketches uh, where you have a character on a landmine and they deal with that problem. A counter gets a record from his family back home, which you don't see, which is a sensible decision and his emotional reaction to that. It's very bitty, very choppy and there are certain characters where you go well, what has he been doing? But
1: that's always the nature of a sort of an ensemble piece. I think, generally speaking, all you get are moments of each character when you have this many characters to follow, and in particular when they're scattered as widely as this group are. Now, you're right that, that, you know, that is not inherently cinematic when they're not all together. But of course, all you're going to get are sketches and moments. And you just have to. It, it, the question is whether it works in those sketches and moments. Now, obviously, for you, it didn't. No. But I think f- it, it works as well as many other films. In, in terms of the characters I think it's just in terms of the pace and the and the storytelling it isn't quite there
0: I enjoyed spending time with these guys yeah. Uh, yeah, it's great spending time with George Clooney Bill Murray doesn't get anything to do in this film uh, but there is one great scene with uh, Bob Balaban Bill Murray and uh, a Nazi soldier at a dinner table which I thought was was fantastic um, and you know this movie is a Sunday afternoon stroll It, it it's not that challenging it's it's just nice to spend time with them uh, and it reminds me in that, in that way it has the same sort of vibe and this is a weird comparison but Last Vegas which was another movie aimed at the Blue Rinse Brigade and let's be frank it is uh, and it's just a pleasant piece of entertainment it has actually it has something fairly important to say and it, yes it may say it repeatedly <laughs> but I quite I quite admired it I quite enjoyed it yeah. I quite enjoyed I quite enjoyed uh, George Clooney and Grant Hesloff who's his writer and producer par, uh, producing partner I quite enjoyed the fact that they right from the off they went this is not the movie that you think it's going to be this is not Ocean's Eleven in World War 2 this is not a caper film we're going to, to tackle occasionally head on the fact that World War 2 even towards the end as the Germans were running away was a nasty despicable business sorry there's a moment near the end where I think it's Matt Damon's character picks up uncovers a, a case of gold gold pieces and they realise that it's teeth gold teeth and gold fillings from teeth that were taken from presumably you're presuming Jews in, in concentration camps and just little moments like that you kind of feel well this isn't glib, this isn't throwaway this isn't something that would be uh, in an Oceans, uh, Oceans movie uh, and that sort of focus and that commitment is something that I got, I quite admired in it. and uh, judging from the audience uh, I saw it with I think uh, it'll play well with the older set yeah Having said that, <laughs> having said that, I'm a defender of it. Helen's a defender of it. You're not, Ali, and the official. Um, and I know a lot of people in the office aren't. Uh, if we brought the likes of Dan Jolin, who wrote the review, into the office, he would eviscerate it. So two stars for the Monuments Men. It's not a recommendation, but I'm saying if you catch it on TV one day, you catch it on DVD, you sit down, maybe watch it with your dad, it's a nice Sunday afternoon movie.
3: Yeah, and I would also say in defence of my rant I was really, really, really looking forward to this film and when Chris pointed out to me that this has been delayed from the Oscar season and hasn't been getting that many early reviews uh, I I was I was somewhat crushed so allow that to colour what I was saying.
0: Absolutely. Um, two stars for The Monuments Men and let's round off with what could be maybe possibly the Lego movie might beg to differ the best film of the week which is Spike Jonze's Her in which Joaquin Phoenix falls in love with an operating system voiced by Scarlett Johansson. We've all been there we've all done it so what do we make of this I may have given it away but we quite liked it
2: yeah, it's it's sort of glibly dubbed the Siri movie, which is slightly reductive. But it's the story of, of Theodore Twombly, uh, played very well by Joaquin Phoenix, who's, Helen's uh, shaking her head at me just as I speak. The
1: name. It's so stupid. Nothing
2: wrong with Theodore Twombly. It's Helen O'Hara.
1: A lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> the two do not compare. I
2: did call up Spike Jones on this in the interview in the last week's podcast,
3: which was a lot of fun. I just went, Theodore Twombly, what didn't make the cut? <laughs> Bingly bat, wingly bong.
0: I don't. What was? To be a, fair, you were saying this to a man called Spike Jones of the Sed.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm fully so. aware. And I'm called Ali Plum. I just think that Theodore Twombly is beyond the pale. But you're not called Ali B Plumbly
2: are you? Well, well, are you? Only only to those of us who. Yeah, love you them. haven't yeah. seen my birth certificate. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Theodore, as we shall call him from now on, uh, writes uh, beautiful handwritten cards for people and I couldn't work out whether this was quite a sort of a, a, a sort of cutesy thing or whether it was deeply deeply cynical uh, but his job essentially is to uh, take proxy of people's emotions and write beautiful handwritten letters uh, on their behalf to their loved ones um, and there's a lovely, slightly sort of, sort of uh, uh, misleading moment at the very beginning of the film where he's looking to camera, sort of confessing his love for someone. And you think, oh, right, this, we're already in the thick of it. Uh, but he's actually just dictating, as we will all do in the future, uh, his handwritten letter uh, to this other person from another person. But anyway, he's, uh, he, he's a lonely guy who's uh, sort of never really recovered from the, from the breakdown of his, uh, of his marriage to, to Rooney Mara. Uh, He's a very sort of sensitive, very sort of soulful, frankly suffering from depression kind of figure with an unfortunate moustache and very high-waisted trousers. <laughs> I don't know if anyone noticed that. Like Simon it's a weird fashion in the near future. Um... And essentially it's in a world as I say it's a slightly future LA where everyone is even more obsessed with their technology than than people are these days. Uh he speaks to his computer he speaks to his phone, you know, he has all of his emails read back to him. It's it's very people are very plugged into their technology. Um and he installs this new operating system which he sees advertised in a shopping mall. And essentially it's this one OS uh, and it's uh, an AI self-aware operating system. So essentially, if, if Windows could uh, could talk to you, this is what it would say. Uh, it's voiced very, very well by Scarlett Johansson, um, who does have the sexiest voice I think of anyone in Hollywood. Just stunning. Well, yeah, that's only because I'm not in Hollywood. Well, yes, obviously. Annie. <laughs> uh, but really, but also she puts a lot of emotion into it. It would be very, very easy for her to 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 have. Try a different line with this. I mean, this this film it, it strikes a balance, I think, between a cynical satire of sort of man's attachments to technology and alienation from actual people. I think there's touches of that, but it doesn't go down that route. And this relationship between the two of them grows. And I think what's interesting about this is it's not, uh, "Hey, he's in love with his computer. What a freak." Um, it's generally accepted, and like his friend uh, Amy Adams is quite sort of charmed by this relationship he's built up. No one really thinks he's weird, apart from his ex-wife.
1: And um, Chris Pratt, who's another one of his friends, double dates. Yes, you know, so he and his girlfriend go out with uh, Samantha, the, the operating system, and Theodore.
2: And the waist on his trousers is absolutely obscene. Oh, but the less yeah. said about that, the better. That's a wonderful scene, actually, a sort of double date picnic when it's him and his girlfriend and uh, Mr. Twombly uh, and his phone, <laughs> essentially. Uh, it, it's it's very very bizarre as you would expect from Spike Jones. but I think it's probably the least mind bending of his films I would say and I would say probably the most honest as well I mean it, it's a film that I felt that I was getting inside his head more as opposed to John Makovich's head for example but um, it, it felt I mean written and directed by Jones, it felt very much that you were seeing a sort of the sensitive side of him as a filmmaker um, which I really really enjoyed Um There's also a lot of funny stuff in it. I particularly enjoy... There's a phone sex sequence uh, between uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Ashley Kristen Wig, who plays uh, Sexy Kitten in it. Somebody picks that. And it's just absolutely... Yeah, it's hilarious. I can't. I, I won't spoil it for anyone. But, well, but it's, Wacky it's Phoenix as a.
0: I know it's a, a skew romantic lead, not yeah. a killed a romantic lead. But this is a man. I see him in a movie. My bowels tighten up because I'm <laughs> sure he's about to fist right someone at some point, uh, or yell at someone, or be really, really intense. He's the world's most intense person.
2: He is. How does he play a, a romantic lead? Very softly, very sensitively. He's a very sort of frail, fragile character. It's it's quite it's quite surprising from him. I think he's really well cast in this role. I don't think the same can be said of everyone else. I think. a Olivia Wilde is is weirdly miscast as a sort of an unlovable, insecure woman who can't get a man to call her back. Really? Really? <laughs> um, you're kidding me. Uh, and Amy Adams, who is very good as the best friend, although they do seem to think that giving her a slightly sort of bed hair and no makeup makes her weirdly frumpy, which isn't the case.
1: It, I think that, yeah, the casting of the woman generally is, uh, the real woman, I should say, generally is, is very, very odd. Uh, Rooney Mara is the ex wife. There are repeated mentions of the two of them quote unquote, growing up together. And it's hmm. like, well, well, working Phoenix has a good ten years on her and looks it. And and so it just, that didn't ring true. It felt weird. It's mm. like, well, you didn't grow up together, clearly. She's way younger than you are. And in fact, in the film, she's a lot more mature and she's the only one really to call him out on the weirdness of dating an operating system rather than, than a human being. I, I think the film is very well made. I think it it's really interesting. I think it's incredibly plausible in terms of where we're going with technology. But I had real trouble seeing Theodore as in any way kind of sympathetic because you know, he he's kind of falling in love with a character who is designed to help him. And that seems massively cynical. It's and, messed and up, and isn't it? When you think really about it, it's
3: it is it is twisted. Someone whose job is to remind you at eight o'clock you get up. It's like super mum, your butler. Like, it's all <laughs> kinds of messed up. It is the, the crutch of all crutches. Yeah. What am I thinking? You're thinking this. Okay, I'm thinking this. It is so weird. How can you have a relationship who, with someone whose job is... To serve you, I
2: don't feel that came across in the film. I think the relationship he has with the computer is less subservient than obviously it would seem on paper, Mm. and I think it's more about him just desperately trying to find some kind of connection. He's completely adrift. He's completely emotionally shattered. And actually, I found it very touching. And you used that phrase. uh, You thought that Scarlett Johansson was the AI equivalent of the of the manic pixie dream girl, didn't you?
1: Oh God, yes. (laughs) Well, she kind of is. I mean, you know, even even uh, fairly early on. She's the sort of, oh, I take wonder in life, you know, just shut up. <laughs> so I just had, I had real trouble getting behind him in this relationship at all.
2: You hide it very well. Uh, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I don't know. I, I, I think I, I didn't get a lot of that from it. I found it a very sort of touching, very sort of heartfelt uh, film. I also really liked the aesthetic of it. I thought it was absolutely mm. stunning. to looks look at gorgeous, sort of yeah. Soft sort of, it looked like an Andrex advert, you know, a really sort of <laughs> soft, glowing wow. sort of Vaseline on the lens. Uh, for a near future film, lots of wood the use of wood was quite uh, quite prominent and everything was quite low fi it wasn't sort of hard edges and sharp chromey it didn't look like the Apple store is what I'm saying uh, it looked a little bit more like the Laura Ashley catalogue um, <laughs> okay, at least the um, Ikea
1: catalogue I mean you know.
2: that's a recommendation four stars for her that um, said that said oh, and I'm going to say one more thing oh, oh, really? loved it really loved it definitely four stars I am baffled that it is in the running for best movie though at the Oscars absolutely baffled by that it seems a very unlikely choice for that
1: it doesn't uh, feel like an Oscar movie, but perhaps no. that's to its credit that they've actually nominated something that feels so, so different to normal.
2: Yeah, and it is better than American Hustle, so there you go. And it, and it will Ooh. make you
3: think, and that's
1: I, that's true.
2: Uh, arguably
0: more than the Lego movie this week.
2: Yes, Come on. It's quite a okay. fun
3: thing.
0: Four stars then for her. I just want to try something. Siri, I love you.
7: Oh, stop. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Siri, what do you think of Spike Jones as her?
3: Now there's a good
0: question. Now, where were we? Ooh, well, wow. Ooh, flirty. <laughs> well, Siri, maybe we'll keep this flirting up later on, eh? I'm already up and running, Chris. <laughs> Beside wow. be me. Wow, I think I'm in there. Uh, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by Matthew Modine, star of Sandy Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket, and Akiva Goldsman. He's been mentioned on the podcast already, the man who wrote Batman and Robin, but more happily didn't let that get to him. And now he's the director of A New York Winter's Tale. Until then, it is goodbye from Helen.
1: I'm still laughing. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm, I tell you, I'm on a promise. <laughs> it's goodbye from Helen. Goodbye. <laughs> it's goodbye from James. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Ali. I am not the gay. <laughs> <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. I'm off to, uh, well, I'm off online to get lucky with Siri. See you next week.